so, Elvis has a long way to go to reach the all-time best-selling stamp. That's the 1932 George Washington commemorative two-center. It sold more than four billion. I'm Larry Brown, AP Network News. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, live on the CBC Radio Network. To call the show locally, dial 383-8255. 383-8255. To call toll-free all across the West, dial 1-800-338-8255. The wild card direct lines are area code 702 385 7214. 385-7214. And finally, if you've never called the show before, try the first time caller line at 702-385-7213. We invite you to participate on the Talk of the West KDON and the CBC Network. When your call is answered, please turn your radio down. Each caller will be allowed up to three minutes, giving more listeners a chance to join in. station of the CBC and BRN Radio Networks, KDWN, the 50,000-watt clear channel voice of Las Vegas on 720. Good morning. We're just up past a full moon. We're here for all-night talk radio, and we have on the telephone our guest for the evening, John Lear. Good morning, everybody. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast. A.M. And uh, we're going to be here uh, from now until six o'clock in the morning with some of the <laughs> some of the very strangest uh, information that you've ever heard. As a matter of fact, let me give my standard warning so I don't have to put up with the abuse later in the show. We're going to be talking about unidentified flying objects, aliens, alien technology, its effect on Earth, and a lot more. Some of it. Uh, at times relating to uh, religion and very sensitive and my caution to you all my caveat would be if this kind of thing disturbs or scares you or there's anybody in the room that would be disturbed or scared please get them out of the room and or turn the radio off for the rest of you John Lear in just a moment Right now, I want to tell you about the Sea Crane Company, and uh, the Sea Crane Company is a most unusual company. They ought to be your one-stop Christmas shopping store. Here's kind of a partial list of what's available, and this also is a caveat. It, they're beginning to sell out, despite how well they stocked up for Christmas. They're beginning to sell out, so if you wait much longer, you may be sorry. Uh, it's all going very quickly. The Z-Crane Company has in stock, in limited stock now, the Sanjean 818CS, the best radio in the world, $250 AM, FM, shortwave, the complete shortwave band, 
nothing more sensitive uh, nor selective uh, on any of the bands than the Sanjin. It's an incredible radio. It has a built-in uh, tape deck to record whatever you hear and uh, play it back. It, it'll, uh, you can set it up with a timer. It's got 42 one-touch uh, uh, memories. It's a serious radio. A BFO, you can uh, hear the world. It brings the world to your doorstep. Stock is now beginning to get low, $250. They've got the TV radio. It's about uh, the size of a pack of cigarettes. It gets AM, FM, and television, of all things. And uh, it's got 19 one-touch memories. Uh, boom, boom, boom. You just go right through the uh, memories. You can in include all the local VHF television stations you have. $69.95. They've got the uh, select antenna, $50. It'll improve the radio reception of any radio. Just put it next to it. No batteries or wires. Tune it, and your radio reception is vastly improved. $50. They've got scanners for police, fire, emergency reception. If you want one of those, they begin at $125. It's all at the Sea Crane Company. They'll open between 8 a.m. and uh, probably around 1 or 2 or maybe even 3 tomorrow afternoon. The number to call, and I know it's hard to get through, is 1-800-522-8863. 1-800-522-8863. And I was told to warn you this morning, stock is getting low. And now... I'm going to go ahead and read his resume because I want you, I very much want you to know, all of you, particularly those of you who have never heard him before, you're in for quite a shock, who you're listening to. John Lear, 49, 49 years of age now, a captain for a cargo airline, has flown 160 different types of aircraft in over 50 different countries. He held 18 world speed records in the Learjet, including the round-the-world speed record set in 1966 and is the only pilot to ever have earned and held every airman certificate issued by the Federal Aviation Administration. These certificates include the airline transport rating, flight instructor, ground instructor, navigator, flight engineer, dispatcher, airframe, and power plant mechanic control tower operator and parachute rigger. In addition to this, he holds the PATCO Award for Outstanding Airmanship presented in 1968. Lear has flown missions worldwide for the CIA and other government agencies. He flew in Southeast Asia between 1966 and 1973 and has extensive experience in Europe, the Middle East, Afghanistan, the Far East, Africa, the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. He has also flown experimental test flights for the Learjet Corporation and other companies. As a non-SCED pilot, he's flown for 28 different airline companies in the past 25 years and has been a pilot for 34 years. Lear studied industrial design in college, then pursued his aviation career flying airplanes, seaplanes, gliders, gyroplanes, helicopters, balloons, and fighter-type aircraft. While attending high school in Switzerland, Lear became the youngest American to climb the Matterhorn in Zermatt. In 1968, he pylon raced a Douglas B-26 Invader in the Reno Air Races, the largest aircraft ever raced at Reno 
at the time. At age 28, he was one of the youngest Boeing 707 captains to fly in commercial airline service. A former Nevada State Senate candidate, John is the son of William P. Lear, Sr., designer of the Learjet executive aircraft, the eight-track stereo, and founder of Lear Incorporated, now Lear Siegler Corporation, a large defense contractor. Lear has written extensively about airplanes and other subjects and was Middle East correspondent for Combat Illustrated between 1975 and 77 while stationed in Beirut, Lebanon with a cargo airline. Although Lear's father was outspoken in his belief of the existence of extraterrestrial visitors, to the great concern of the Pentagon, uh, by the way, particularly because Lear Sr. was head of a large defense contracting company, John only became interested in the subject himself seven years ago after talking with an Air Force pilot who was stationed at Bentwaters Air Force Base near London, England, where three small aliens were photographed by the Air Force, air, actually photographed by the Air Force, walking up to Wing Commander General Gordon Williams. Lear's extensive worldwide civilian, military, and intelligence contacts have made it easier for him to penetrate the secrecy surrounding the subject of UFOs. Then, in 1988, John became acquainted with a government scientist who worked at Area S-4, part of the super-secret Area 51 at the Nevada test site. The scientist was a member of the most classified government research team then in existence. It was their job to research and try to duplicate the propulsion system of nine recovered alien aircraft in storage at the Nevada test site. Lear is an amateur astro astronomer and photographer and has won several awards for his photos taken during his worldwide travels. He owned and campaigned the 12-meter America's Cup boat soliloquy out of Marina del Rey, California for two years. He is vice president of the General's Ward and Chenault Post No. 1, the Soldier of Fortune Post of the American Legion, and a member of the Special Operations Association. John currently is chief pilot for a cargo airline, flies Boeing 727s throughout the Caribbean and South America. Lear has four daughters, lives in Las Vegas with his wife, Marilee, a former actress and youngest daughter, Jacqueline, 15. His hobbies include gardening, carpentry, and UFOs. <laughs> I added the last. And... Um, so away we go uh, without any further introduction, and that just about did it. Uh, here is John Lear. Good morning, John Lear. How are you doing? Good. Good to hear you again. Great. Uh, John, there's been an awful lot of stuff going on, and that's, that's mainly why I had you back beside the general discussion, which we always end up in. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to ask you about. Number one is, is my sighting. Um, now, I don't know whether you've heard anything about this or not, but I'll tell you, John, uh, I really did uh, see a couple of things that may be nothing more than, you know, falling something or another's. Uh, but on my way in from Pahrump toward Las Vegas, I have now seen in, in three different times what I, I, I'm, I really don't know what it was, John. It looked, uh, it looked, on the one hand, a little bit like a falling star, but I've seen falling stars all my life. 
and uh, this was not uh, typical of a falling star. It was more like, I've described it as, a green fireball trailing uh, fire behind it uh, in a, tra a trajectory uh, across the sky. It wasn't small. It wasn't like a typical falling star that we've all seen for years. It was, uh, and I'll tell you why I'm mentioning this, John. It's because I said it on the air, and you wouldn't believe the uh, derogatory mail that I've received. I didn't, I joked around, said it's seed pod or something coming down. Uh, but that was just a joke. And uh, for having seen this and reported on it, you can't believe the mail that I've received, John. Yes, I can't. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and so that set me to thinking, if that got me that kind of mail, and I said at the time, could have been a falling star, I don't know, but sure was strange, uh, I can understand what you've gone through. Well, it's been... Uh been quite an adventure since uh, I accidentally got into this in 1985. It sure has. Um, I bet. I bet. Uh, do you get uh, John quite a quite a bit of uh, abusive? Uh, come on, what kind of nut are you? Kind of mail. No, as a matter of fact, really? I don't think I've gotten very many of those at all. Maybe really, one or two in the last uh, you know four or five years. Oh, I I got all kinds of uh, you know art. Uh, take a vacation, art. Uh, uh, working these late nights must have gotten to you. It's ridiculous. But I really did see these things, John. I don't suppose you have any thought or have heard anybody else uh, uh, talk about it. Green fireballs is what they were. Well, uh, it couldn't have been the uh, sheriff's helicopter, right? Oh, uh, no, John. Nor was it swamp gas uh, here in the desert. <laughs> it may have been uh, a gigantic falling star. I, I have no way of knowing, John, but... Uh, well, you know, there was a lot of uh, reports in 19, I think it was 48, 49, and 50 in New Mexico of green fireballs. Um, lots of those. Uh, I haven't heard too many recently, but uh, there certainly was back then. I could only describe it as trailing fire and sparks and so forth and so on, and uh, Sucker was really moving. I mean, it just went across the trajectory uh, in the sky in just, oh, I don't know, four or five seconds. Uh, it was really moving. Oh, there's a lot of strange things flying around. Yes, there are. Out in my valley, John, I see some mighty strange stuff. Uh, all right. I watched, uh, I don't suppose you happened to see sightings last night, did you? No, I forgot to watch. What was on? Um, sightings last night uh, did a little segment on uh, angels. And uh, I hate to start in on this so early, but uh, they commissioned the Gallup poll people to do a poll and ask the American people how many, by percentage, believe in angels. This will surprise you. 65% of the American people, according to, uh, according to Gallup, believe in angels. How about that? Well, it, uh, it relates in a sense, because if that many people can believe in angels, I would think that also a very, very high percentage could believe that these UFOs um, are, are more than just something uh, unidentified. Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah, I think it would. Okay. Um, I, I've got a number of other things I want to cover with you. Um, the Associated Press, uh, a couple of days ago, John, uh, reported on a very close call for Earth. At first I thought that it was an old report, but then they began to say, as we slept last night, a two-mile-wide asteroid passed within two million miles of Earth which they considered to be just close within a, uh, a, a cosmic uh, blink. 
And I note that in all of these, and there have been several instances like this lately, John, they always tell us about it after it has passed. Can, John, can you hold on a sec? Gotcha. We've got to do a break. Stand by. Um, we'll get back to John Lear in just a moment. This is CBC and BRN. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the best talk radio in the nighttime from the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell with John Lear, and we're going to be talking uh, UFOs and other strange things this morning. So uh, back to it we go, and John. John, um, that was a big rock. I mean, a two-mile-wide asteroid that passed right by. Well, they always tell us right after. I think that happened about six months ago, but... Uh... Yes, it did. Yes, it did. That's what I'm recalling. And it's been a series of these, John. Uh, are we just going to sort of not wake up one day? Uh, probably be like that. Remember, a couple years ago, they got uh, Dan Quayle head of some deal that was supposed to, to uh, look out in space and see if there are any asteroids headed this way. Everybody poo-pooed it. Uh, I, I recall at the time, oh, what a waste of money, they said. But I'm tired of hearing this uh, about all this um, like a baseball score, you know. Um, it seems to me, aren't we keeping track of these things? Shouldn't we be? Well, it seems so. There's uh, certainly uh, a lot of them out there. Well, here's the big $64,000 question, John. Suppose they saw one headed our way that wasn't going to miss. Would they tell us? <laughs> I don't know, Art. You got me. That's, uh, that's a good question, man darn. Didn't want it to be a good question. Hope there'd be an answer. I'm worried about that. Anyway, um, uh, on to some other stuff. Uh, big, big news, John, about Aurora, the Aurora aircraft. A lot of people don't know what that is. What do you know? Well, supposedly Aurora is uh, the supposed name of a manned Mach 8, 5,000 mile per hour, trans-atmospheric strategic reconnaissance hybrid jet which can uh, supposedly achieve orbit and probably dip into the atmosphere to gather intelligence and then skip back into space to continue its orbit. Uh, this aircraft's been uh, seen by uh, several people that I know. Uh, supposedly, uh, it may have had a near miss with a 747 back uh, August 4th. Uh, a couple of friends of mine were up at the test site last week and heard it. Uh, it has a very strange, strange sound. It's a very loud low-pitched roar with a rhythmic beat. Uh, and sometimes you can hear it around the Groom Lake area. It's very distinctive. With a rhythmic beat. Now, I, I understand a little bit about jet propulsion, uh, or even rocket propulsion. What would give it a rhythmic beat? Now, I don't know that much about it uh, either, but uh, I know a few guys that do. Uh, unfortunately, they're listening tonight, but uh, probably won't call in. Would you urge them to? Uh, yeah. Come on, guys. Call in and tell us what makes the rhythmic beat. You know, don't you, John? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. If, if such a person exists out there, we'll let them call on the first-time caller line because the line's long since locked up here, John. Uh, that would be area code 702-385-7213. Uh, is this uh, Aurora aircraft, in your opinion, John, our technology? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's our technology, and uh, probably burns uh, liquid hydrogen or or maybe liquid methane. Uh, is probably air launched by another aircraft, and uh, probably made by Lockheed. Uh huh. I understand that it is triangular in shape. Well, that story comes from uh, somebody who saw it. Uh, I think working on an oil rig in in the North Sea, uh, and it may be, but. Uh, the thing that's, that's interesting about this story is this guy saw a, uh, a triangular-shaped aircraft uh, either refueling from a C-130 or being paced from a C-130, and I can assure you that a Mach 8 aircraft could probably not do that. Um, probably not hmm. fly that slow. Hmm. Uh, we have quite a... Well, before I get to that, one more piece of real hard news here, John. I was listening uh, coming in to... Um, a station I listen to in San Francisco frequently, and uh, they had an expert on, who uh, astronomer I believe, who suggested that indeed our sun, and I'm going to leave this as a teaser because I've got to go for another quick break here, but our sun has lost one-tenth of its output, one-tenth of one percent of its output in the last two months. We'll be right back. If you own a gun or want to have the right to do so, you're right to Good morning, everybody. Back to it. Back to John Lear. John, once again, uh, I believe this is good, hard information. Uh, they've measured one-tenth of one percent of drop in the sun's output in the last two months. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on the sun, but this man appeared to be, and uh, he suggested that was uh, something to keep our eye on, that, you know, the sun is a big nuclear uh, generator, and uh, it, it does fluctuate, but probably ought not this month, or uh, this much. Well, maybe we ought to send somebody to fix it, like uh, maybe God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'd be about the only one, wouldn't he? I, I I wonder in the end, John, do you think the Earth will um, uh, just sort of will go out in a blaze of glory in some big astronomical event, uh, or or do you, you will, will be hit by something, or uh, the people that you know about uh, will have something to do with us, or we'll just go plodding onward? I don't know. All I know is I'm going to have the greenest lawn. <laughs> At the last minute, huh? Uh, I've been uh, I've been really... I should be more perky tonight, but I've been participating in the what's known as the Great Christmas Decoration and Light War in western Las Vegas. I see. A few people have uh, gotten together there. Their houses are across from each other and and uh, putting more, trying to get more lights than the other person, and it's been... Uh, I got an idea for you. Uh, trying, I, to, uh, trying to outdo the other. John, I've got an idea for you. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. Why don't you construct a little wood, uh, a wood frame saucer and light it? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I mean, you could actually you could have a red and blue light on top, and you could have it saucer-shaped, and uh, I don't know, it'd be neat. Anyway, uh, John, you've got to understand, uh, I know this is old, but a lot of people just have never heard you before, and they don't know what it is you think and what it is you believe uh, based on the research you've done. So I don't know where you want to start, but give us a sketch. Well, basically, uh, you heard my resume. I uh, got into this by accident in 1985. Uh, I met a friend uh, who had come to Nellis Air Force Base uh, <coughs> changing from active air force to uh to uh, national guard and uh this guy had uh, flown with me in laos 
and uh, came over and we talked about uh, old times and asked him where all he'd been based since I'd seen him, which uh, had been like 1972, 1973, mm -hmm. and he mentioned Bentwaters, and most pilots have, have heard this story of this saucer landing at Bentwaters Air Force Base uh, near London in 1980, so I said, uh, when he said that, I said, oh, that's supposedly where that saucer landed in, in 1980, and he said, uh, no, John, not supposedly it did. He said, I didn't see it because I was confined to quarters but I know the guys who did. And he gave me the names of General Gordon William, uh, Major uh, Ted Conrad, and Colonel Chuck Hald. And I looked at uh, Greg and I said, what are you talking about? You mean this stuff is real? I, there are uh, saucers and aliens? And he said, yeah. So I thought I had known a lot about uh, secret operations, secret, secret government operations. I'd flown uh, quite a few uh, missions and knew a lot of secret things. but. Uh, I certainly didn't know anything about this, so I started uh, researching it. And in 1987, I, in December, I wrote what became known as the infamous John Lear hypothesis about what was going on. And all it was was uh, uh, my idea, uh, based on the people that I had talked to, of essentially what was going on really in the, in the field of, of disc, flying disc, aliens, and that. And, and basically that was that... Uh, in 1964, uh, we had made an official contact with at least with, with one alien group, and we agreed to exchange uh, uh, to receive technology in exchange for helping them cover up the uh, the fact uh, of their existence. And that uh, contract has gone along. There's been uh, a few uh, changes. Uh, but essentially, that's the way it works. And essentially, it still exists today in that same form or a modified form? Yeah, supposedly. Uh, there are nine uh, recovered alien craft up at the test site. There's no question about that. There's uh, probably at least one species of aliens that we work with uh, up at the test site. There's no question in my mind that, uh, that that's going on. Uh, nine recovered craft. Uh, John, can, do you know whether we have applied any of this uh, uh, knowledge of alien technology? Do you, do you, can you point to any applications? No, I can't think of anything that uh, we've applied it to. There's a lot of rumors that it was you know, applied to the 117 stealth fighter and stuff, but I don't really see anything that, uh, uh, as far as the technology that uh, we could have gotten, uh, how it could be applied to the B-2 or the or the F-117. That's all straight technology. Mm. Why, uh, why is this still under wraps? Well, I guess you answered that question, didn't you? Because we promised to keep it that way. Well, we promised to keep it that way, and there's a lot of religious, uh, well, the religious aspect to this. Uh, it would upset a great many people. They'd want uh, a lot of uh, questions. Uh, there's no way that the government could come out and say, Look, we, uh, we have recovered an alien spacecraft, we have talked to aliens, uh, but that's all we're going to tell you. They'd want to know more. They'd want to know the history of mankind, where we came from, and essentially uh, we're just an experiment, and the government believes, and, and rightfully so, I think, that, uh, that most of the people can't handle that. Now, there, there are a few that could say, oh, that's you know, really neat and continue on existence. But I used to think that not true, John, that the American public was prepared to handle it. Um, but I have come to the conclusion, after having done a number of shows with you, that it just 
ain't so. That's correct. Because enough of the percentage of the people, uh, particularly religious folks, are so offended and downright angry uh, that you just have to imagine uh, a total chaos would be. Uh, downright angry that you would even suggest something like that. And so it's better just not to open Pandora's box at all, not even to open it a crack. And that's why the government is ridiculous uh, as they sound when uh, when you have an, a, a saucer uh, three times the size of an aircraft carrier flying alongside a, a cargo 747 uh, for 45 minutes, uh, you know, telling the public it's the planet Venus, because they'd probably rather believe that. Um. How how do they keep getting away with this, John? I could sometimes wonder about that. You hear about what sounds like a documented bedrock solid sighting, you know, uh, by somebody like yourself with many years flying, and inevitably uh, the government or some arm of the government issues a perfectly ridiculous explanation that seems to quiet everything down. I think it's mankind's infinite capacity to uh, uh, to be bamboozled. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm going to again jump away for just a moment, John. I'm going to be asking you, though, when I come back, there is news about a black hole. Uh, scientists apparently have confirmed the existence, or as close as they're able to, of uh, a rather large black hole, and we'll be back with that in a moment. You're listening to the CBC and BRN radio networks. We're, uh, we're going... We're going on the trip of a lifetime. Wouldn't you like to come along? It's, it's uh, one of the most unusual cruises that anybody would ever have an opportunity to even sign up for. It's a trans-canal cruise. We're going through the Panama Canal. And on the way, we'll be stopping in some pretty exotic locations. It all begins San Juan, Puerto Rico. Actually, it all begins April 17th, I should tell you. San Juan, Puerto Rico. St. Thomas, the U.S. Virgins, Martinique, Grenada, Caracas, Venezuela, Curacao. Then we transit the canal a full day through the rocks, and then we're back at sea and up to Acapulco, Mexico. It is a jewel of a cruise. Maybe even you, you might even want to call it the, a star. Uh, a star. The, the star princess is the ship we'll be on, but it's going to be a star of a cruise, and they don't do this very frequently. So we thought we would offer you, in, in the way of a cruise this time, something that would provide memories for the rest of your life. That it will do. Come along with us, won't you please? Uh, we have, uh, oh, probably a thousand pieces of literature out there now, those of you who have requested it. Uh, need to get your deposits in quickly, uh, because it's beginning to book quickly. It is urgent now that you get your deposit in if you want to come along on this incredible journey. For those of you that don't have the information yet, you had better call this morning. Here's the number. It's 1-800-638-1066. You can call it right now, 1-800-638-1066. Or here in Las Vegas, Good Times Travel that represents uh, the incredibly efficient Princess Cruise Lines. That's how I thought of them on the trip. 878-8900, And uh, back now to John Lear. John, for the first time, uh, as I was saying, they apparently have uh, 
confirmed, or as much as they're able, the existence of a black hole. Now, that, uh, the black hole is that hole into which at least $100 billion worth of defense budget is dumped, and the opening for this hole is in the center of the Nevada test site. It's called Area 51. <laughs> I know all about that. Yes, well, uh, that, that uh, probably qualifies as uh, one that's even more documentable. But uh, they actually have uh, discovered this black hole, and I was just wondering, not that you probably would know, but I was asked earlier tonight, if you could get through it, what is likely on the other side of a black hole, John? Uh, you're talking to the wrong guy. Uh, I know about aliens and, and flying saucers, but uh, if you want to talk about black holes, you're going to have to talk about, to the expert who, uh, in my opinion, would be Bob Lazar. It would be nice if he'd call in and, and tell us a little bit about the black hole. Maybe he will. I'd like to hear from John. And I got a fax uh, from somebody uh, that asked about... Uh, uh, Mr. Lazar, and so I guess I should take uh, this opportunity to ask you to go ahead and tell the story uh, briefly, if you would, of Mr. Lazar, because it's an odd one. Well, in 1988, uh, I had given a couple of lectures uh, uh, at the uh, the library here, and and several people were calling. One who called was a real estate appraiser named Gene Huff, and he wanted uh, some tapes uh, of that I had. And uh, I said, okay, come on up. And, and he came up with a friend of his who was a young scientist uh, who didn't believe at all in, in uh, flying saucers or anything. As a matter of fact, he thought we were nuts then, and, and he thinks I'm nuts now. But uh, we had a, uh, a friendship that lasted, uh, oh, it, or, or I hope it still lasts until now, but uh, about four months we gave him some information about... Uh, all about different things and, and kind of generally changed his opinion on, on saucers. He uh, had worked uh, at the uh, Los Alamos uh, National Laboratories. He had a very high clearance. Uh, he knew a lot of uh, things that were going on, but he didn't believe anything in this UFO stuff until we pointed out a number of things. Uh, one, that uh, Project Grudge still existed. He was able to confirm that with uh, persons uh, he knew had clearances uh, at the classified uh, library at Los Alamos. Okay, Project Grudge, I believe, is a project that uh, endeavors to what? Uh, Just, it's, it's a collection of reports of sightings. Uh -huh. And it was supposedly canceled by the Air Force in 1949 in favor of Project Blue Book. But, in fact, it still continued. But, anyway, he was able to document that, yes, some of this stuff was true. So, because he was uh, uh, so well... Uh, schooled. He had uh, at least two degrees, uh, master's degrees, uh, both of which were, uh, I believe, from MIT. And because he had uh, very powerful friends, uh, namely Dr. Teller, he was able to get a job at uh, EG&G local, or at least be interviewed by EG&G here in Las Vegas, and get a job up at the uh, Nevada test site, specifically S4, where they kept these uh, uh, saucers. And I'll never forget the night that he first uh, came uh, came to my house. It was uh, uh, December 6, 1988. He sat down, and I'm writing out some checks. And he says, uh, John, I saw a disc today. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, I saw a disc. And I said, bears are ours. And he said, bears. And I said, oh, my gosh. Did you go to the test site? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, don't jeopardize your clearance, you know. Just find out what's going on and then tell us what. Now he says, uh, you've taken a lot of flack over this, and I wanted to tell you that 
I saw it. It's all true. I know what the state of the technology is. It's not ours. It came from somewhere else. Uh, and that was about it. Uh, he worked up there for about four months until one night uh, he invited us out to look at one of the test site, uh, one of the test flights. And this was uh, like April 6th of 1989. Uh, we were on legal. We were legally on uh, BLM land watching this thing, but uh, we got caught by uh, security guards up there who uh, harassed us for a little while. And the upshot of the thing was that they called him in the next day and. Uh, uh, and uh, he decided not to go back to work. And, uh, well, then, of course, there's, there's a bit more, as I recall. Uh, that man uh, and all trace of him, uh, his educational background, uh, his life disappeared. Yeah, he uh, went on TV and he, he told what he'd seen. He was completely honest about uh, what, what he had seen up there. And in order to check him out, uh, Channel 8, uh, George Knapp and uh, Bob Stoldow did some uh, checks, and it seemed like everything had disappeared about his background. His birth uh, certificate had disappeared, any record of his birth, his, uh, all his uh, degrees from the various colleges had disappeared. There was absolutely no way to prove who he was. And uh, so it was a little bit hard to prove that, uh, you know, who he was and, and what he had done. Uh, there's a fellow named Dwayne, uh, John, who sent me a fax, and uh, there are a number of questions, and I'm going to keep referring to them. Some of them are pretty good. Uh, he works for Hewlett Packard, by the way, and uh, he wants, he, he said, Gulf Breeze, if it is a hoax, then why hasn't anyone exposed it as a fraud? He said, I'm not talking about the Ed Walters thing. I'm talking about the sites that take place every two to three days or so in the sky there. Again, why has the news media been kept very quiet about it and wanted you to respond to that? Well, I don't think they've uh, kept quiet. I think all the three networks have been down there and gotten film, but, you know, you can just take so much film of lights in the sky. They're, they're obviously uh, strange, uh, but there's no way you can prove they're extraterrestrial. I believe they are. They're, I believe the Ed Walters story. There's a lot of people who've tried to discredit him, but uh, there's an answer for for all their uh, arguments that, that are brought up. But uh, oddly enough, nothing's been happening down in Gulf Breeze for about the last six months, unless it's just started happening in the past few weeks. All right. I remember John uh, an NBC report one night. I think it was Connie Chung, and it may have been in Tokyo, and. They only showed it once, and they would never show it again, despite a lot of requests. But by golly, there was a saucer something in the sky uh, behind uh, Connie Chung. I think it was Connie Chung, the reporter. And uh, the, do you recall hearing any, anything about that? I don't remember that specific one, but there have occasionally been uh, reports like that. But you don't usually see it on the major networks you, uh, in a news uh, format. You usually see it on the shows like Sightings and Unsolved Mysteries and that type of stuff. All right. What does John know, I, it goes on in the facts, about the daily visit of a UFO in Mexico City? It's been going on for a, a couple of years now, and the only TV show to air this has been Sightings. What gives? Does he know why the news media has been kept quiet about this one? I don't think, again, I don't think the news media is, is kept quiet. Uh, there's certainly a lot of film. What, where it started is about six months ago, there was an eclipse of the sun uh, that could be viewed by Mexico City, and it just happened. Uh, everybody had his video camera out filming the eclipse of the sun. Well, for some reason, there happened to be a, 
uh, a lot of flying saucers out, and they got tremendous shots of these things. There was over 100 uh, videotapes collected by Lee Elders, who went down there and, and started contacting everybody that had them. Uh, he worked with the uh, essentially the Mike Wallace of the 60 Minutes of, of Mexico, uh, and they collected this, brought it back, and put it on sightings. But uh, as far as major networks, you know, what do you want them to do? Say, you know, here's a flying saucer. It's been seen in Mexico City. Uh, you know. Well, you know what? I, I do. In other words, the major networks have never really dealt with this subject seriously. They always do it with a little smile or a chuckle or something. There's never been a good network-level investigation of all this. There was one we both recall, uh, but I, did, I only viewed it as kind of mediocre. They've really never done a hard news look at this story. Why not? Uh, the same thing that uh, they don't want to do a hard look at AIDS. They don't want to know what the truth is. That's tantalizing. Do you know what the... In fact, John, uh, <laughs> you've had a long life uh, working at times for the CIA, now the investigations you've been doing in these areas. How much stuff is there that you know that you flat can't talk about? I talk about most of it. I, I talked about uh, quite a bit of it. I've noticed uh, since you've gotten such a wide audience that, uh, that you've kind of tapered off, off in your beliefs, Art. You used to be kind of uh, almost to the point of where you believed that, uh, you know, what we were talking about was real. And then, uh, you know, lately in the past few months or so, you take a little occasional shot at, uh, you know, at uh, me and, and UFOs and so on. So. What I do, John, is I, I try and stay balanced. Uh, and that's really hard to do uh, in the sense that I don't close my mind to it. A only a fool would do that. There are too many sightings. There's too much apparent evidence. But without seeing one myself, really seeing one, or without having evidence I can put my hands on, I cannot come to the point... You know, I get people who call me, John, and they want to say, it's all so obvious, how can you not state that you believe in it? And other people will call and say, how can't, why can't you go on the air and just say that's all a bunch of trash and garbage? And I can't get to either extreme, John, without some kind of some kind of personal experience. Uh, well, for instance, uh, you know, you talked about the the October surprise, and you made a comment a few weeks ago uh, when they absolutely, you know, put the final nail in the thing and said we're not going to investigate it anymore. John, hold on. We'll come right back to this. Hold on. I want to talk about that. Stay right there. Jackie Gong's Plaza downtown. This is KDWN Las Vegas. Good morning again from the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM with John Lear this morning. Uh, back to him right away. I want to pick up on this, John, the October surprise. Uh, you and I have had some talks about some things regarding the October surprise that we still can't talk about, can we? Uh, yeah. It, uh, it just sounded to me like a couple weeks or a couple months ago when, they, when the Senate decided not to pursue it any farther, you said, well, that proves that. There's nothing to that. 
and we both know that yes, there was something to the October surprise. Uh, I participated in in the October surprise to the extent that I was supposed to fly the 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 guns and ammunition from uh, uh, Tel Aviv to Tehran. I'm surprised and, you're airing this now. Why have you decided to go public on this? Well, it's it's, it's just you've never asked me. I, you know, there's, there's well, I, at the time we discussed it, you said, uh-uh. That can't be aired. Oh, because there was, in case of a Senate investigation, uh, my attorney said, you know, uh, don't say anything to anybody. But since it's a, a dead issue now, I can certainly say. Well, maybe it was a dead issue. Now that you said this, uh, no, I, they're not going to open it up again. You don't think uh, so? But anyway, the fact is, is uh, I knew about that part, and uh, there's also strong evidence that uh, that Bush certainly. Uh, the last time he was seen was at dinner on, on the Saturday that this all occurred, that he was supposed to be in Paris. He flew in a back 111, uh, which is a large private jet, over to Paris, completed his meetings with those people, and then was flown back in an SR-71. It certainly didn't have to be Aurora. SR-71. Yeah, I said on the air the other morning, I did say, John, uh, okay. gee, you know, they all said he couldn't have done it. Uh, well, certainly the Aurora, or even, I suppose, the... Uh, uh, a lesser aircraft could have accomplished it. The pilot that uh, flew him back started to talk about this about two years ago, and he was put in jail, and he's still there. Well, what makes you think you're going to be free to make your lawn green if you? <laughs> so, uh, tell. So, for the record, John, let's uh, let's get this out again. Your participation in um, uh, in the October surprise was what? was to uh, take the guns and ammunition that was promised to the Khomeini uh, by the uh, uh, by Bush and Casey. Uh, it was to go to Tehran. Uh, the Mossad was handling and briefing the flights. It was to originate in Tel Aviv. Uh, we had to go through Turkey to get there, and so the deal with Turkey was for to give us overfly rights that they got every other load. How far? How far had you actually gone with it, John? You were in an aircraft in standby, weren't you? No, we were briefed. Uh, but were the briefed. first airplane in got shot down. It was an Argentinian CL-44, and the Mossad did, uh, couldn't figure out exactly why he'd gotten shot down because uh, he actually crashed about 40 miles south of Yerevan in Russia. And they supposed uh, what they what they supposed happened is he was on his way out. He didn't have any. He'd already dropped his load. Uh, and so he, apparently the Soviets came down, uh, intercepted him, and he thought, well, well, I'll go along with them. They can't prove anything, and then shot him down when they got him over Russia. Holy mackerel. But they couldn't prove it one way or the other, and they didn't want to risk the 707s, which I was flying. So they uh, they went another way, and it's my understanding. I didn't participate in, in, in the other one, but I, my understanding, they went through Dubai, which would just cross uh, the Persian Gulf into Tehran. And you're pretty confident that uh, because they have officially closed this, which was my reference the other day, uh, that uh, they will not, upon hearing what you've just said, reopen it, or there'll be cries oh. to reopen it? No, I don't think so, because they'd have to let uh, Russ Bucker testify, and he's the SR-71 pilot that brought him back. And they just wow. don't want to get into it. Wow. Well, we just uh, killed one hour dead, John, uh, so stand by, relax, get some coffee or whatever, and we'll come back and do another. Okay. All right, stay right there. Uh, and that, that uh, the same thing applies uh, with, uh, with UFOs, which I have never seen. Anyway... We'll get back to it in, in just a moment. You're listening to the CBC and BRN Radio Networks. The perfect gift is...
flowers, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you don't have to go down to the mall and find 800-257-3825. That's 1-800-257-3825. And now, back to John Lear. John, uh, here we are again. I'm sure you heard what I had to say at the top of the hour. Sure did. And uh, it is kind of that way, John. I, I'm, I just am not an absolute believer, nor a disbeliever. My mind is open. I am impressed with the number of sightings and the things that we've talked about. In fact, it's frightening. But without hands-on, you can't make that final, or I can't, I should say, make that final step, that leap to, yes, they exist. But you, can't, you have, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, but if you'd have walked in my shoes for the last five years and had access to all the information I had, you'd probably believe as I do. Yeah. All right. Um, so they are real. What are they, John? I, that's what a lot of people want to know that haven't listened before. What are the creatures that are in these flying things? Well, I used to say that there was uh, 80 different species visiting us. There's probably more. There's, there's certainly more than that out in the universe. And there's all different kinds. Uh, there's these little gray uh, people that, that do the abductions. There's one that li- ones that look just like us. And there's off, you know, some awfully uh, weird ones. There's just about any any ones that you can imagine. What do they? What do they want? Well, supposedly, uh, at least according to the documents that uh, were read by uh, Bob Lazar at the, at the test site, uh, we are an experiment. Uh, we uh, were ge- genetically uh, uh, changed. Uh, genetically experimented with. They made, uh, I think, uh, 65 separate corrections to make us what we are now, which is containers. Uh, They refer to us as containers. What we contain uh, wasn't specified in the documents. You can speculate uh, it might be souls, it might be blood, it might be enzymes, but in any case, the the aliens refer to us as containers, and and they made these containers. Now, uh, according to the documents he read, uh, they also engineered the world's major religions. Uh, and they did that in an effort to uh, organize and pacify. They created uh, uh, the miracles so that we would believe in an entity, uh, so we would uh, you know, not go off and uh, uh, rape and murder and pillage and that kind of stuff. We were given the Ten Commandments to live by, mainly so that they could organize and pacify and keep us all going in the, in the same general direction. They are our creators. Supposedly, yeah. Are, are you, is that one of those things you're certain about, or does that hang in the air more as a theory, John? Well, it's, uh, it's looking more and more correct. Uh, who knows what the truth is? Huh. Uh, what I want to do, I, w- I want to start taking a few calls, John, and we'll kind of uh, uh, hopscotch our way through the night here. A lot of people that want to talk to you, and I, I should service some of these blinking lines, so let us sporadically begin doing that. Uh, good morning. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air coast-to-coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Uh, good. Where are you? Washington State. In the state of Washington. Okay, you're on the air with John Lear. Yes, uh, Mr. Lear, do you um, believe that there may possibly be some sort of an invasion um where they are taking over um, phone lines, flashing messages over televisions and so forth. Do you believe this can be a possibility? All right, thank you. That would be a pretty open operation, wouldn't it, John? 
Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air coast to coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Art. Where are you calling from, sir? I'm calling from Mesa. Mesa, Arizona. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, I'd like to uh, ask him if it would surprise him to know that uh, Clinton's mother's maiden name was Rockefeller and that uh, his real name is William Jefferson B-L-Y-T-H-E, the fourth. Life. Life. The fourth. Is all of that a surprise to you, Joe? Uh, no, I think what he's saying is, is everybody's connected that goes in the government. We, we think that we're getting somebody new, but uh, really the president of the United States is just a figurehead. It really doesn't doesn't uh, make any difference who's in there. Uh, the same people who run in the secret government uh, are going to run it no matter who gets in there. You know, funny thing, there was a day when I would have catcalled over something like that, but I have come to believe that this last election, whether it had been Bush for another four or Clinton for his first four, uh, it just didn't make much difference in terms of uh, policy or anything else, and I've come to believe that. The members of Colin Bones, Trilateral Commission, uh, uh, CFR, the whole thing, there's no difference. Does that answer your question, Colin? Uh, I would like to know the spelling of the pilot's name and where you think he's located, what prison. All right. Thank you. Uh, John, what can you tell us? Thrustbacher, R-U-S-S-B-A-C-H-E-R. And if you'll listen, uh, in a little while I'll thumb through some papers here. I looked for it just before when you when you brought that up to uh, to get that paper that I have. But uh, if you'll listen later, I'll, I'll wrestle around for the address where he can be contacted. John, uh... If it's on a tour, she's the one that is trying to get him freed, and she's the one that's doing all the public speaking on his behalf. Wow. John, is there uh, anything that we could do on Earth, or we might do, that would cause these aliens to come out of their invisible closet and intervene in some way in the course of events here? No, I don't, in, intervene in, in what sense? Well, suppose, for example, tensions were increasing and it looked as though some idiot was going to push the button despite the Cold War uh, now being gone, ha-ha. Um, in other words, we're on the edge of uh, self-eradication uh, or something of that magnitude. I've heard stories, uh, you know, unsubstantiated, that they have, in several cases, either changed the firing mechanism or changed the... Uh, the place where something was supposed to land, uh, and, uh, different rockets. Uh, but I don't know whether that's really true or not. Or if some astronomical catastrophe uh, began to be apparent. I, I'm just wondering if, if the architects of all of us would intervene and prevent such a cur an occurrence, or they would just view that as uh, the end of the experiment. Well, they might be getting ready just to clean out the Petri dish themselves anyway. And just why, uh, hmm. uh, that's a good place to hold it, John. We're at a break. Stand by. I'm going to think that one over. Good morning, everybody. Huh. You're listening to the CBC and BRN Radio Networks. I'm Art Bell with John Lear. From Jackie Gons Plaza downtown, this is KDWN Las Vegas. Good morning again from Las Vegas. I'm Art Bell with John Lear. 
son of Bill Lear, creator of the 8-track tape deck, the uh, Lear executive jet aircraft. And uh, John has some strong views in many areas, including uh, aliens, UFOs, and uh, I guess our political course in this uh, country as well. And uh, back now to John. John, exactly why are we developing the Aurora aircraft? And well, you know, the exact same question that you just asked was asked by uh, Senator Robert Byrd, who's the chairman of the Senate House Appropriations Committee, Committee. And he went to the Deputy Secretary of Defense and said, hey, wh what is that airplane that goes Mach 8? We don't, uh, we don't see anything in the, uh, in the budgets. Now, Senator Byrd is one of 16 people who is allowed to see everything in black budgets. So he said, I don't remember signing anything on there's that. There's nothing under there. So they had another, some other questions, too. Uh, NBC, April 20th, ran a story about saucer-like objects over Groom Light. Yep. Channel 13 had some strange lights uh, that they photographed over Groom Lake. Aviation Week, May 11th and August 24th, had uh, pictures of strange contrails. You know, there were those skyquakes in Southern California. Wall Street Journal comes out with a story. Uh, all of these things seemed to say that there was something strange going on. So the Senate, so Byrd sent out a guy to uh, Las Vegas here last Saturday, Dick D'Amato, senior legislative aide, and he was going to make a surprise trip to Groom Lake, and he told us, that, uh, you know, if there was stuff going on and it wasn't through the, the normal budget, that, in his words, he's, he was going to pull the plug on Area 51. Aww. So he goes up there on Monday to, uh, to Groom Lake to, to tour around and see if any of that stuff is there that we are saying is there, uh, namely Aurora, uh, S-4, uh, the disc down at S-4, the, uh, the new unfunded secret airport called Sandia next to uh, Paiute Mesa, and uh, he went up to Groom Lake, as fate would have it, it was snowed in that day, and they told him that, uh, that they couldn't take him anywhere because of the snow. He said he wanted to go down to S-4, and they said, oh, you've been talking to that Bob Lazar guy, huh? <laughs> so uh, apparently he's going to go back in two weeks, and they said that they would take him down there in two weeks, but they wouldn't find anything. That They, they told him that, they, uh, that there was nothing there. So I imagine two weeks will give him enough time to move stuff out. And there won't be anything there in two weeks. I don't have anything against black budgets or anything against secret projects, but when you consider the American taxpayer is footing the bill for these operations and all likelihood is paying two or three times the real cost for the legal budget programs to support the black budget programs, you know, you might want to know who the enemy is that we're really preparing to fight. Well, that was the nature of my question. Uh, why do, what do we need this aircraft and for? We, we have met the enemy and he is us. In the sense that uh, with a well-defined, understandable enemy or not, we're going to keep doing this, uh, period. Sure. Huh. Uh, Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Linda from Oregon, and I would like to ask John if he has heard of L. Fletcher Prouty. And yeah, sure. He was, um, L. Fletcher Prouty was one of the four people that made up uh, the composite Mr. X in uh, the movie G in uh, JFK that Oliver Stone made. Correct. And I really got an enlightenment about Vietnam and why Vietnam happened. Yeah, Al Fletcher uh, Prouty wrote a book uh, about 20 years ago called The Secret Team, and he's just recently written another one that elaborates on that. There's also a book out that uh, you'd be interested in called The Man Who Knew Too Much. About 850 pages, and it really goes detailed into the Kennedy assassination. 
uh, I see, uh, is this, does this also deal with the CIA and uh, the master planners of the world? Yes, it does. Uh, not so much the master planners, but the, the part that the CIA, the FBI, and everybody else had in the assassination of President Kennedy. And it's called The Man Who Knew Too Much by yeah. Prouty? Uh, no, uh, uh, Fletcher Prouty's book is different. The Man Who Knew Too Much is a separate book. And that's by whom? I'm not sure of the author, but uh, it's, it's just come out. You won't have any trouble finding it. Well, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate getting through and getting your response on that because uh, I found it so credible that this man seemed to have such knowledge. And, I, and I'm just so glad to hear your views on it. And I thank you so much. All right. Yeah, Prouty is one of the good guys. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Appreciate Ed. your call. John, I, I'm going to seek you, I'm going to ask you to comment on a, a kind of a general topic here. One of the good guys, you said. The UFO community, and it's pretty large. Uh, there are a lot of people who talk and lecture. Uh, you're probably one of the most respected, maybe king of the heap. And uh, there is an unbelievable amount of dissension uh, in, uh, among UFOologists. Uh, why? Uh, what's going on here? Why is there so much dissension? Is it not the other day? They had gone to their first UFO conference, and they thought that everybody would be more or less generally aligned. But it's 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 not the case. There is a lot of uh, different views, uh, different axes to grind. Uh, you have the uh, Bill Coopers who are really out on on uh, well, the yeah, one end, and the Linda Howes who are out on the other exactly. end. Exactly. And uh, the rest of us that, uh, you know, trying to bring some sensible uh, sense to the thing, and uh, it, it's just difficult to do. Everybody has a different, different axe to grind. I've noticed that uh, every time uh, well, two people don't agree, the standard thing seems to be to accuse the other guy of being a CIA disinformation uh, <laughs> uh, operative. That I is the standard, uh, the standard uh, modus operandi. In other words, if you don't agree with me, you've got to be CIA. This Absolutely. has to be uh, disinformation, and uh, boy, these charges and countercharges just fly in the magazines, don't they? That's the way it works. <laughs> All right, let's take some more calls. Good morning on the first time caller line. You're on the air coast to coast to with our phone, John Lear. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Where are you calling from? Susanville. Susanville. All right, turn your radio off and go ahead. John's right here. Okay. How you doing, John? Hey, pretty good. How you doing? Very well. Surprised I got in. Uh, my comment, John, is uh, you were talking about... Uh, uh, how the uh, uh, how to explain this thing got difficult. Uh, I'm thinking in the Christian thinking is uh, if this thing came out the way that you're talking, all the Christians or a good percentage of the Christians would probably uh, uh, have a second thought about Christ, and uh, that is uh, the reason that the, the government is kind of holding this back. Is that the way you're trying to explain it? Well, that's correct, but when you say all the Christians, you know, you, you think you're talking about a lot of people. Remember, there's six billion people on this planet, and, you know, five billion of them aren't waiting for Jesus to come back. Yeah. Well, uh, how about the idea of maybe uh, Satan, who is supposed to be running this world uh, prior to Jesus returning, uh, drumming up this uh, infatuation? Well, uh, is there a Satan? <laughs> well, 
well as uh, Jesus Christ. You know, you look <laughs> on both aspects, and the way that the Bible reads, I think, is that Satan is supposed to be running this world until uh, uh, Jesus Christ returns, and uh, maybe this is a, the big ploy that Satan is playing. Well, that, that could be, yes, yeah, but as Art knows, I try to stay out of the religious aspect of this because I just, I stick to nuts and bolts, you know, if you want to talk about gravity amplifiers and and uh, antimatter reactors, that's what I like to talk about, uh, but uh, I, I, I kind of steer clear of the religious aspects. Well, I'm open-minded myself. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I still uh, am open-minded to these uh, 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 UFOs and, and what have you. But uh, uh, I'll uh, stand by here and, and listen a little bit more of this program or watch it on television is what I'm doing through the satellite. So yeah. uh, I appreciate the call. And All right. All right, sir. We appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Um, it is uh, it is inevitable that uh, people want to mix the uh, religious aspect into it somehow, and there there really is a mix. It's just that when we get down to talking about it, it really gets a lot of people angry, which is exactly why exactly why the government won't release all this in, in information, isn't it? Exactly. It's tough to talk about. It irritates a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people have grown up with that belief, and and. Uh, they really believe it, and, and uh, it just could cause a lot of problems. So I, you can see their point of view of not opening the door in the first place. While you were correct that five billion people are not waiting for Christ to return, uh, of that billion, uh, quite a significant number of them are here in this country, and uh, it would disturb them greatly. Right. All right. Um, let's take one more quick break here, John. Stand by a sec. Uh, you're listening to John Lear on the CBC and BRN radio network. And again, I say, if this is all going to disturb you, then turn it off. Don't keep listening to see how disturbed you can really get. Uh, just go ahead and uh, turn it off, because we're going to get into some pretty sensitive areas. We'd like to talk to you all for a moment about, uh, once again, uh, the watch that you've really got to have. It is the Art Bell and Ross Perot watch, and it's only $24.95 plus $4 shipping. It's so cheap. I, when we first started advertising these things, I thought, you know, uh, it cannot be. Ross Perot must be subsidizing these, but I've subsequently found out it certainly is not true. It still would be curious to know how the Robert Sanders Company can do it. They produce the original presidential uh, series of wristwatches, and they're continuing to do it. And I don't know what it says, that they are producing a Ross Perot 96 watch. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, they rather think that he'll be back, as do I. Then they decided to produce an Art Bell watch. And, uh, coincidentally and fortunately, they're both available for Christmas. So, if you want to put your hands on one, here comes the phone number. All you've got to do is $24.95, shipping and handling, gold-plated, Really, uh, very, very nice. In the case of my watch, it's got a dark background against the gold. It's very pretty. Number to call, 1-800-257-3825. 1-800-257-3825. Back now with you, John. I wanted to correct a statement that I made that uh, I think I inadvertently said uh, the aliens created man. They didn't. They genetically altered uh, a two-legged uh, human form that was on the uh, Earth at that time, and that's what the 64 corrections were made from. Uh, they didn't create him from uh, from uh, the beginning. Then our ancestor, ancestors, um, 
are some other sort of space creature that was modified genetically into what whatever we are right now? Oh, whatever was here. It's my understanding they genetically uh, altered whatever it was here. There is, I believe, uh, turning to reality, uh, or, or a hard documentable uh, reality, uh, there is a missing link. There is a period of time, and they just cannot calculate how mankind made the jump, made the leap, how the intelligent aspect of man was. And there is uh, that, in, in hard science, there is that, uh, that area, is there not, John? Yeah, uh, it's tough to believe uh, uh, when you figure out what the odds are, either uh, there's two general beliefs that we evolved from uh, uh, matter that fell out of a, you know, out of a comet and landed in the sea, and then you started off with a slime, and then something crawled up on the beach, and right. we eventually evolved from that. I mean, there's only, that we know of in 18 billion years, the, the greatest odds that you can think of wouldn't have permitted man to uh, to have uh, genetically uh, come from that kind of a, a, a sequence of events. The other is that the man was made out of clay. So uh, you can you can pick those, or as Gene Hoff says, uh, you can be an externalist and believe that we were modified uh, by an external factor. Um, all right, this brings me to something else then, John. All of these abductions, these cattle mutilations, if uh, it, it kind of gives uh, credibility to what you've said, because if we are, in effect, an experiment, surely those conducting the experiment would, from time to time, need information to continue the experiment or decide not to, heaven help us. Um, and so then, would that, would that be the reason for the abduction? Am Inevitably, I... they talk about medical exams. They were examined medically, John. Right, that, that might be the very reason for these abductions. It, uh, all of the abductions are, are kind of a medical exam. They, they put something here and put something there, and sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's not. But, but that would, you know, they're checking to see how their experiment is going and, and whether it's time to clean out the Petri dish or not. <laughs> all right, uh, Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Hi. Good morning. Um, John. Yes. I'm not being personally argumentative. It's just that I have a set of ideas, too, and I'm, I kind of think it's challenging to think this way because we all want answers. But um, do, how would you explain near-death experience? And that would be my first question. Secondly, you say not to turn it into religion. I've never been religious, per se, like I don't go to church and I don't believe in that. But I have a very strong sense of a God figure for many other reasons and having been an atheist when I was young read a lot of uh, books by people who gave me better answers than a Bible as far as factually could man create God or God create man and and I'm a real strong believer okay yeah. in a in a beginning and a creator um, I would say that uh, as far as they go I don't say they're not real. I've never explained, even on Art Bell's show, my experience with it. All right. All and right. there has been some. All right. We're going to have to hold it there. Listen on the radio. We'll get you an answer. Uh, it is an interesting area, John, this business of uh, uh, near-death or um, death experiences. Uh, you know, the bright light, the whole bit. Uh, so many have had it, John. Any any thoughts on the matter? Well, it's my personal opinion uh, that uh, the soul goes on forever and ever. 
and that when you depart this body, there is a, a short time when, when you can see down and see what's going on before you go to wherever it is we go. Now, uh, reincarnation uh, was something that Jesus taught. But at the first meeting of uh, Nikkei, I think, which was uh, in uh, 325 A.D., and then there was also uh, a meeting in Constantinople about uh, in, in 1200 A.D., uh, they modified the what we call the King James Version of the Bible, and they took a lot. As a matter of fact, uh, they really took about 95% of what Jesus taught out of there. One of the things they took out was uh, the idea of reincarnation. Uh, I do personally believe in that, and I believe the soul goes on and on and on. Uh, so that's the the uh, the answer, or or what I think the answer is to the near death experiences. Um. Okay, this is going to get into the area that I was afraid of, but I can't resist. Containers, vessels, that's what we are. Possibly containers or vessels for the human soul uh, that we're now talking about. Possibly in experiments uh, with the soul. What, John, pure speculation, do you suppose our creators, our uh, alien scientists that have created us, what use would they have for the human soul? Oh, I don't know. Um, apparently, there's a, a lot of interest by one species, um, the greys, uh, in emotions. And uh, they, they take a lot of time to uh, apparently talk to the abductees about emotions. I've heard of experiments they do uh, with people to create emotions. For instance, there was a case down in Florida where a guy was abducted and he was put in a, uh, uh, a long, uh, curving corridor with two children. And uh, down one end, as bizarre as this may sound, here comes a fire-breathing breathing dragon. So he turns around, runs the other way, and there's a door. He goes into the door, and there's a barrel. And his decision was, does he put one kid in each barrel and, and let the dragon eat him, or does he get in the one barrel himself and try and fit the other two in there, or, uh, or what? Wow. And this was one of the experiments, uh, and I don't remember how it came out, but this is one of the experiments they do uh, in trying to either understand uh, or experiment with emotions. So then you might conclude that emotions, anger, jealousy, all the strong ones, um, have some 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 value to them. Possibly, uh, yeah. Or or they are themselves some sort of energy that can be used in in some in some way. Well, apparently, uh, at least according to the abductees, the the uh, the greys don't understand it. They don't have emotions themselves, uh, at least like we do, and they're trying to understand uh, the emotions as we feel them. Wow. Wow. Well, we're plotting a lot of new territory. Uh, uh, this morning. It's very, very interesting. Um, let's pick up another call quickly. Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air Coast to Coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Hi. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Art. I have two uh, quick questions, and I'll listen to them off the air. Number one, what these, these are people that have been abducted by aliens and been experimented on. Have they ever suffered ill effects when they get back to Earth from the medical experiences? Second question, has John Lear ever known many Navy aviators, and has he ever had a desire, or has he ever landed on an aircraft carrier? 
and I'll hang up and listen. All right. John? Uh, the, the first one was about abductees, and what was the question? That, oh, um, the, oh, the experience, is any yellow pack. Uh, yeah. well, first of all, I don't think they leave Earth. Uh, some of them uh, go maybe a short ways out, but most of them is done uh, relatively close here. Yes, they do suffer yellow pack. Some of them are quite traumatized by the experience. That's why they form these encounter groups where they can uh, talk to uh, to others who have had the same experience. Uh, but yeah. Hopkins is quite active in, in those type of groups where they try to help people who have been uh, traumatized by this. Oh, but right, John. Did you see the one on the sightings? The fellow had the returning red marks on his belly? No, but I've heard about that case. Pat, or one oh, similar to it. Yeah, I, let's talk a little bit about that. I've got a break coming up, so uh, stand by, John. We'll, we'll do that in just a Naval Aviator's question, because I want to answer that. All right, all right. We'll get back to that one, too. You're listening to the CBC and BRN Radio Networks in the nighttime again with John Lear back in a moment. KDWN, Las Vegas. This time of year, Sears Siding contractors spend a lot more time inside than they do outside on installations. You see, people just don't think about making home improvements in the winter. But Sears installs sidings all year long. And right now, to keep their crews working, Sears is offering truly incredible values. So call 1-800-468-5300 now for a free in-home estimate. There's no obligation. You will save 15% with no payments for full six months. Remember, Sears Siding is guaranteed against netting, chipping, or peeling for as long as you own your home. Plus, it's sold, furnished, and installed by a Sears authorized contractor, someone you can trust. License numbers furnished on request. Sears Siding installation crews can work for you right through the winter, so call now, 1-800-468-5300. Save 15%, make no payments for a full six months. Not available in all areas. Some restrictions apply. Ask your salesperson for details. This offer expires December 31st, so call now, 1-800-468-5300. Only one magazine can bring you the stuff that dreams are made of. Dreams of thundering through the sound barrier in an X-1, or defeating the dreaded Luftwaffe in the skies over Britain. Only one magazine lets you dream of harnessing enough energy to power mankind to the far corners of space, or dream of viewing the stars as you step out of the airlock of the space shuttle. That magazine is Air and Space Smithsonian. Every issue of Air and Space brings you man's most tantalizing dreams, past, present, and future. From pioneers like Lindbergh and Earhart to the team designing the first trans-atmospheric plane, the dreams are there for the taking, all with fascinating illustrations and an easy reading style that the whole family will understand and enjoy. A one-year subscription, six bi-monthly issues is just $18. Order today. Call toll-free 800-292-4100. 800-292-4100. Air and Space Smithsonian, the stuff that dreams are made of. What do KDON and Sintel Cellular have in common? They're both connected to you. Something happening in traffic? KDWM wants to hear from you. Hey, what's out of here in the background? Oh, that's music. <laughs> you say. Dial 720 on your Sintel Cellular. It's a free call. Want to express your thoughts on one of the KDWM talk shows? Dial 720 on your Sintel Cellular. It's a free call. It's that simple. Dial 720 on your Sintel Cellular. Do we really have to have that music back there? Hi, 
This is Muriel Stevens inviting you to join me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. at the Good Table. Our menu is a special treat, so you won't want to miss it. Remember, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at noon, right here on KDWN. Las Vegas. You're listening to the CBC and BRN Networks. I'm Art Bell with John Lear. And uh, we're going to continue through the night with some pretty strange stuff. If you're frightened by all this sort of thing, turn your radio off. Don't expose yourself to something that would be harmful to you personally. Uh, for the rest of you with strong constitutions, let's continue. Uh, good morning again, John. Uh, let's cover what we were going to. Uh, we'll get to the naval aviators. Okay. Uh, but the lasting effects, and I was telling you about the fellow with the returning red marks uh, that I think was on sightings, a very convincing uh, uh, case. How many people have physical effects that endure? Well, I don't know. what You, you mean in percentage-wise? Well, I mean, uh, how many have you ever heard of? I, you've looked into so many of these cases, you'd know more. Lots, lots. They all have a little that little scoop that's uh, taken out uh, as far as the physical things. A little scoop? A little scoop of skin that's taken out, and they have a mark on their ankle or their leg or, or their arm or something. Uh, they're told that it's uh, they're just taking genetic materials uh, back to wherever they come from. Uh, interestingly, our own government has recently announced that it has begun a program of gathering uh, first on the military and then probably others uh, blood samples for genetic recording yeah where that were you uh, yes I was uh, naval aviators have you ever landed on an aircraft carrier first of all he asked if I ever knew any and I said uh, my answer is yes I was taught by a naval aviator out of first out of fly uh, he was a transport pilot. His name was Hal Herman. Uh, he used to live in Montague, California. I don't know whether he's still there or not. Uh, but I've known a lot of Navy pilots. Have I landed on a carrier? No. But to me, that would be the most exciting experience uh, to land on a carrier with a hundred and a quarter visibility uh, on a pitching deck at night. That would be uh, the epitome of airmanship. And I know that there's a lot of guys that have done it. Would you endeavor to do it if you had the chance? <laughs> well, I certainly need a lot more training than I have now, but, but that really takes airmanship is to land those jets on the pitching uh, deck at night in extremely low visibility. Yeah, John, I'm told is that, what, that what you have just described is one of the most terrifying things any pilot can ever do. Oh, you can imagine, because, you know, they don't have all that much fuel. It's not like they can say... Well, if I miss, you know, I'll just go back to shore. You know, sometimes they're quite a ways from shore, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's their, that's their only chance. All right. Uh, very quickly, uh, we're short on time this hour. Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Not a lot of time. Go ahead. Right. Uh, this is San Diego, KSDO. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mr. Lear? Yes. Um, I bought the antimatter reactor. Yes. No, I saw, I bought the Bob Lazar video, and... Um, 
the last part he goes, uh, heat is taken in by the thermal uh, electric uh, generator. Yes. So that means that their gravitational system is electricity? No. Is that what they used to... Uh, the therm thermal electric generator is separate. That's what provides the positive vote for the operation of the trip. Uh, what the pig didn't describe and what the next one will describe is how the gravity wave uh, works. And uh, basically the gravity B wave forms like an electrostatic charge on the top of the antimatter reactor. Uh, and it's channeled and amplified through the waveguides down to the gravity amplifiers. And that's what's used to, uh, to um, make the, the, uh, pull the space towards you. All right, caller, we're out of time this hour, so I've got to scoot. I guess uh, there'll be uh, yet another tape that will explain all this. John, we've got a break uh, for just a few minutes for the news, and we'll be right back. Okay. Stay right there. Business owner, would you like to advertise to over 750,000 people in the West per night? Would you like an audience that listens to the radio for information, that ranks as number one in listener loyalty, that is growing every night as Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell is proving to be the best late-night talk show in America? Would you like to reach the consumer who, much like yourself, has many interests and requires goods and services from a variety of suppliers? Does your business search for the investor who follows world events as a prelude to investment? Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell gives the advertiser an opportunity to reach an audience that has the income and desire for the products that you offer. We get results with adults for our clients. For more information about building your business with the Chancellor Broadcasting Network, call 702-798-1798. Bring our listeners to your products or services. Call 702-798-1798 today. That's 702-798-1798. Jackie Gons Plaza downtown. This is KDWN Las Vegas. AP Network News. Good morning, I'm Tim Sargent. The East Coast still feeling the effects of one of the wettest and windiest storms to hit the area in decades. Sergeant John McCluskey with the New York Police Department says they have a variety of problems to deal with today. Basically a lot of flood damage in uh, the ocean-lying areas on the coastal uh, part of the city. There was other uh, flood damage to vehicles that uh, had driven into uh, parts of roads where flooding had occurred. And while the storm is moving off the coast now, officials say a high tide of three feet above normal this morning could cause more flooding. Coast Guard Petty Officer in Boston says it's just a normal day for his department. We do our normal job. We're, you know, always on call and on the ready, uh, you know, making sure that our stations you know, the boats are secured and everything like that, and they help out in the local communities. Uh, this is mostly done yesterday, you know, making sure all the boats and harbors are secured and uh, helping fishermen move their boats to secure areas and sheltered areas. Conditions yesterday prompted evacuations in the Virginias, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New Jersey, where up to four inches of rain fell on the southern part of the state. Authorities say that since Thursday, at least 12 deaths have been blamed on the storms. 
At least 50 people have been killed in a strong earthquake in eastern Indonesia. Experts at the U.S. Geological Survey say the quake measured 7.5 in the Richter scale. No reports of damage yet, but officials say it may have been extensive because of the quake's size and location. Another day in Somalia, another effort to get relief to the people who need it. The AP's Karen Sloan reports. Protected by light-armored vehicles, armed Humvees, and three helicopters buzzing overhead, the first Marine-guarded food convoy has traveled from the port to the needy northern area of Somalia's capital. It's only 20 tons of rice, oil, and beans, much smaller than aid agencies are used to moving. Some care officials contemptuously referred to it as a convoyette. UN and World Food Program officials note it's just a test of the new way things will be done now that the military's here, and everyone agrees this first post-marine landing food convoy is symbolic. Karen Sloan, AP Network News, Mogadishu, Somalia. A federal judge has in Washington has thrown out one of the Iran-Contra charges against former Defense Secretary Casper Weinberger. The judge says Weinberger cannot be tried on account that alleges he lied to Congress about the affair. Hogan says the charges violate a five-year statute of limitations. This is AP Network News. President-elect Bill Clinton wants to turn up the heat on what was Yugoslavia. The AP's Thelma Lebrecht has details. The president-elect is reiterating his support for the use of U.S. warplanes in the former Yugoslavia republics. Britain and France, which have peacekeeping forces in the region, had been resisting a new show of force. But Bill Clinton says he believes they're moving to modify their position. Anything we can do to turn up the heat a little there to try to reduce the carnage uh, is worth trying. As for the U.S. military's effort to get food aid to the starving in Somalia, Clinton says they're making progress. But he adds any decision to expand the U.S. role, as the United Nations wants, should be up to Bush administration officials. And he doesn't want to be second-guessing them. Family Brecht, AP Network News, with the president-elect in Little Rock. More announcements of cabinet appointments expected from Little Rock today. The word now is that Democratic Party Chairman Ron Brown will be tapped to be the next Commerce Secretary. Of the nine people Clinton has chosen so far, including four women, all are white. A royal wedding today, but a low-key wedding. Correspondent Joseph White in London says Princess Anne is once again tying the knot. This is not your typical royal wedding. The order of service, the guest list, the site of the honeymoon, all a well-kept secret. Royal watcher Alison Hardy says even the mode of transport is a mystery. There's a lot of questions. People aren't sure whether they're going to turn up in a Range Rover or whether they're going to go for the more traditional approach in a carriage. I think they'll probably be in something that moves fairly quickly. I don't think you'll get a lot of chance to have a look at them. The wedding itself is taking place in Scotland because the Church of England forbids divorced people remarrying in the church. This is 42-year-old Princess Anne's second marriage. The groom is 37-year-old Navy Commander Timothy Lawrence. Also, rumor has it the recently separated Princess of Wales has decided to skip her sister-in-law. 1066 1-800-638-1066. Or good times travel, the agent here for Princess Cruise Line. Love boat it is, you know. Uh, can be reached at 878-8900. 878-8900. And uh, back we go to John Lear. John, uh, good morning again. Hey, all right, how you doing? You up for a few phone calls? Oh, you bet. All right. Uh, good morning on the first-time caller line. You're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Hi, I have two quick questions for Mr. Lear. Uh, number one, a little while ago you said we might start seeing something in about six months. And second of all, um, when is your next speaking engagement? All right. You want to take that on the air or right here? Uh, 
what was that? What did I say about six months? Uh, some the, the he well okay we'll we'll go ahead and take take have him take it on the air. Um, he said that at one time you had stated you thought that perhaps something would become apparent uh, uh, to the American people in about six months or something would start happening. Uh, like a, uh, a German interviewer told me the other day, I'm a great researcher but a terrible prophet. Uh, you were interviewed by the German press, is that correct? Uh, yeah, there was a guy in here, and a uh, very interesting guy. Uh, as far as my next speaking engagement, I you know, I only give about two a year, and I don't have one planned. All right. Uh, I want to take a few local calls here, John. Uh, let's see, line one, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Good morning. Hi, I live here in Las Vegas. Right. And one morning at 9 o'clock, my son and I were going out to take the trash out, and over a junior high school on the western side of town we saw an object that was somewhat triangular and hovering and it hovered for 39 minutes it changed its uh, attitude a number of times it shined bright lights on us and it changed its color a couple of times it went up it went down it went diagonal back again we watched it for a long time. I had two radio towers, two uh, airplane towers on the... I had two phone lines in the house. And these fellows said, I wish I could see it. They wanted to see it. They couldn't... But And I could see North Las Vegas Tower from my home. I told this story to a couple of people, uh, oh, two of which were in the Air Force, and they both cautioned me never to tell the story to anyone again. Uh, what was the date of that? That was about four years ago. And what size was it approximately? Uh, twice as big as the uh, stealth. Yeah. It went from silver to white. It changed color. My portable phone went dead, and I ended up on the uh, regular phone. It, was, it wasn't scary. It was fascinating. Yeah, a lot of that happens around the Las Vegas area, and they can fix it so that only the one that they want to see can see it and, and you can even be in a crowd and the rest of the people won't see it and you're saying well what do you mean you can't see it it's right there i don't like that <laughs> i don't like that i don't like that either and let's ask about that thank you ma'am thank you uh john any any explanation for the kind of technology that <laughs> i don't know how they do that some sort of uh uh, hypnosis, mass hypnosis, or, uh, you know, who, who I guess could guess. Anyway, you don't know. Okay. Good morning. First time caller line. You're on the air with Art Bell and John Lear in Las Vegas. Yeah, I'd like to ask uh, John Lear if he's familiar with uh, Zachariah Sitchin and any, any of his writings regarding the Sumerian tablets. Yeah, I've read most of his books, and he's got some real good ideas. Uh, he's, he's probably on to a lot of good things there. And I just wondered how your your research has, uh, you know, if it ties in with any of his uh, things or, or not. Well, most of it, uh, uh, most of it ties right in. Uh, he had a particularly interesting one called the Twelfth Planet. Right. And uh, there's some very interesting aspects of that. Should be uh, back around soon. I don't know when did he say it was coming back. No, I'm not too sure about that. Yeah. No, he has a real, real interesting set of books there. I would recommend that to uh, to anybody who was interested. In it, his his, his uh, research shows that uh, there's been visitation from other planets since you know back in those days, and 
Could, could you kind of confirm that? You know? Oh, no question about it. Uh, he has some very good evidence that there's been all kinds of wars and monkeying around with the human race and uh, modifying this and modifying that. But, uh, very good books. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you for the call. John AIDS. AIDS. AIDS looks like it's going to end up taking an awful lot of people out, uh, uh, John, and I guess it is your view that um, AIDS, which is a unique genetic bonder of cells, I mean, so unique as to almost be impossible, you would think, uh, engineered, engineered by humans, engineered by aliens, purpose, what do you know? Well, it's my personal opinion that it was uh, engineered by the government, specifically the U.S. government. Uh, that it was uh, specifically it wasn't no, it wasn't an accidental release. It was specific. It was first released in Africa in I think 1975 uh, through the smallpox vaccine that was uh, that was laced with the AIDS virus, and then it was uh, released in the United States I think in 1978. Um, they specifically wanted to infect a large number of people, but I don't know why, and, and that's just opinion. All right. Uh, pretty dark opinion. <laughs> pretty awful to imagine our own government would have done that to us and the world. Purpose uh, unknown, population reduction possibly, Joe? Well, when you say population reduction, uh, uh, it seems that they want to infect people, but it would, it would certainly seem that there would be a, a, a better, a faster way of getting rid of large numbers of people, we would uh, suppose they did affect, uh, infect everybody in the next five years. Uh, AIDS doesn't kill immediately. It takes one to ten years. And you would certainly overtax the uh, hospital's ability to respond to so many people long before you'd be uh, seeing a number of deaths. It's an awfully good point, right? First time caller line, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Hi. Yes, Art, thank you very much. Uh, let me give you a short story. I'm a, somewhat of a theologian and an amateur uh, ufologist. Uh, um, Do you find yourself in conflict? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, actually, no. Uh, I studied the Bible profusely. I was one of the original Jesus people. And uh, I you know, used to go to bed at night with the uh, Bible on record. And, and uh, I... I find so many things being explained to me now by uh, recent phenomena and uh, people like John Lear. And, uh, of course, there are as many questions as there are questions answered. But, uh, you know, the, the human mind is a phenomenal uh, creation. And, uh, I, uh, you know, in addition to being somewhat of a theologian and a ufologist, I'm also an optimist. I do believe in uh, in the the reality of Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, of course, not to dwell on the religious aspect, but I do believe that the Book of Revelations is now being opened and revealed to us, and uh, the amazing things that uh, came across in that will be uh, revealed to us now, as it said that they would be sealed until the last days. And uh, I have a couple questions. Let me get to them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I just came across a, a, some recent uh, um, uh, writings on uh, Pleiades, the uh, constellation of Pleiades, and there seems to be a lot of uh, uh, tie-ins with that, and 
uh, and to get a little uh, uh, far out, uh, uh, the lost city of Atlantis. Um, uh, and also, I'm curious about uh, what your opinion is of the uh, Billy Meyer experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll hang up and just listen to those three things. Billy Meyer, Pleiades, and Atlantis. Thank you. All right. Uh, when I first got into this, uh, what they call ufology, uh, I found out that to be accepted by the, uh, the uh, mainstream, you had to uh, uh, disregard Billy Myers, Adamski, George Adamski, uh, Howard Menger, and, and various contactees. But when I started really looking into it, all those guys were telling the truth. Uh, Billy Myers, I even went on TV and I said it was a fraud, and, and six months later I had to come back and say, hey, wait a minute, I've looked at this thing, I cannot find anybody who can tell me why it's a fraud. Uh, on the other hand, I can look at the moving pictures and say, that looks that looks real, and hear the interviews with Billy Myers and say, yes, yes, that did happen. I can't explain it. I don't know who they are. They say they come from the Pleiades. I have no reason to believe they didn't. Uh, uh, so, yes, I believe that the Billy Myers case is a true case. Uh, and that would probably answer your question of the Pleiades. They certainly fit into... Uh, this question how I don't know exactly and then the uh, the third question was uh, kind of thing Art do you remember uh, now I don't uh, well Billy Meyer was I believe the third question John. Billy Meyer and uh, the Pleiades and something else I forgot well okay now I have two um, I, I know Billy Meyer was the third question I tried to hold on to that figuring you tackle them in order <laughs> All right, uh, I want to ask uh, my audience something, John. Uh, I'd like to give some of the people you talked about at the beginning of the program who have seen these craft, including Bob Lazar, an opportunity to call in. So I'm asking everybody on the first-time caller line to, uh, uh, to please uh, hold your calls. Please hold your calls, and if uh, Bob Lazar or any of the other people that John spoke about are out there, uh, please try to call us at area code 702-385-7213, uh, How does that sound, John? That sounds great. You know, Bob has taken so much flack from the uh, the public that uh, you know he's just he's real gun shy. So I'm not sure whether he'll call in, but it would sure be nice. Well, perhaps not. But uh, it's a legitimate discussion we're having, and uh, I, I would hope he would decide to do so. Uh, all right, uh, let, let's see what we've got. On the first time caller line, you're on the air coast-to-coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Would you turn your radio off, please? Yes, I will. Am I on the air now? Uh, well, you, you uh, are, yes. This is directed to John, and I understand that uh, John and Bob Lazar had built a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the story. In fact, you said it, John. John, is that right? If you build a time machine, and, uh, and and could I go to the 50s, please, John? About 50s. And uh, it'll go, what, I suppose, forward in time or backwards in time. Have you ever tried it out? Well, what, what the bottom line on that story is, is I asked Bob if one could be built, and he said yes, and I said, what would we need? And he gave me a list of materials of what we would need. A lot of it uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't get. For instance, the power source. You're kidding. Uh, you really are uh, thought about doing this, John? Yes. And Holy mackerel. The, and the bottom line is, yes, you could you could build very easily build a time machine. Uh, not very easily, but a lot simpler than you might think to go forward. Now, it's much, diffi- uh, much more difficult to, uh, to go back in time, but it can be done. 
Well, Billy Myers, I understand, went back to the 15th century in France uh, in his stories and wow. gave the Frenchman some information on a battery-operated light, which he later looked up in a in a uh, encyclopedia when he got back to our time. Wow. You heard about that, probably. No, I didn't hear about that. Oh, well, but, uh, uh, apparently, uh, when Bob was at the test site, he found, uh, they told him that there was a solution to the paradox, if you went back in time and killed your father, would you still be alive? Uh -huh. And the answer is, yes, you would, uh, yes, he would still be alive, uh, but you could go back and kill him. Uh, and the reason he would still be alive is, is you can't affect future events. Time is compartmentalized. All right, we've got to hold it there, caller John. We've got to hold it there. We'll be right back. Boy, do I want to ask you about this. Stay right where you are. You're listening to the CBC and BRN Radio Networks. KDWN, Las Vegas. When you visit Las Vegas, you can enjoy yourself at Jackie Gon's Plaza Hotel at the top of Main and Fremont downtown. Stay in one of over a thousand rooms and suites at the Plaza. Whether you're visiting or live in Las Vegas, you'll delight at the show of lights while dining in the Glass Dome Center Stage restaurant after the sun goes down. Any time of the day or night, you'll find something good to eat in the popular Plaza Diner. Take a break in the Omaha Lounge. Enjoy your favorite beverage and live entertainment. And if sports is your thing, don't forget the Plaza Sports Book. You can keep tabs on your favorite sports teams. 24 hours a day, there is something happening at Jackie Gons Plaza Hotel. Plenty of free parking, too. The Plaza Hotel, Maine and Fremont, downtown. Financial security. Everybody wants it. Not everybody gets it. The key to achieving a successful financial position in life belongs to those who invest wisely and plan ahead. Fortunately, Barron's can help you accomplish both. Every week, Barron's provides you with invaluable, often exclusive information covering every investment market, from stocks and bonds to futures, options, art, real estate, and precious metals. Barron's is widely recognized for its unique and comprehensive coverage. And Barron's is committed to bringing you the facts, figures, and insights that will help you in your quest for financial security. Start on the path to a successful financial future today. Subscribe to Barron's. Call now and get 13 weeks of Barron's for $28. That's just $28 for 13 weekly issues. Call toll-free 800-228-5500. These are the sounds of Christmas is the best time of the year. A high-energy holiday musical presented by Green Valley Assembly of God on December 19th and 20th at 5 and 7 p.m. There's singing, dancing, drama, and comedy with a 50-voice choir and 25 of Las Vegas' finest musicians. Come celebrate the majesty of Christmas. The beauty of Christmas. And the joy of Christmas. 
There are only a limited number of seats available, and you don't want to miss this special holiday treat. Come see. Christmas is the best time of the year. To reserve your seats, call to the best talk radio in the nighttime from the great American Southwest to the rest of the nation. I'm Art Bell. This is called Coast to Coast AM. My guest is John Lear, and we're about to get back. Never uh, has John said anything that's caused my ears to perk up. Uh, with that last call, I thought he was joking. John Lear building a time machine with Bob Lazar. Time machine? Could it be done? Should it be done? I have long... All my life, I've been fascinated with the subject of time. There probably is no other more fascinating to me. And now I realize suddenly that he was serious. Uh, once again, <laughs> brace yourselves, everybody. Here we go. John Lear. Good morning, John. You there again? Oh, how are you doing, Art? Oh, time machine. Really, John? Could it be done? Yeah. Yeah? It could, yes. It has been done. I mean, we don't... I don't know whether we possess the technology to do it, but certainly someone has it. Would you endeavor to do it? It's interesting how it works. Uh, you could do go forward, uh, but then you'd have to come back. So I don't know whether, unless I could come back, whether I'd want to go forward in time. Uh, all right. Uh, good morning. On the first time caller line, you're on the air coast to coast AM with uh, Art Bell and John Lear. Hi, this is Bob Lazar. Oh, Bob Lazar. Hi. Bob Lazar, a son of a gun, am I glad that you called. Uh, and you called at an appropriate time, too. Time machine, Bob? It's possible. Are John and I building one? No, not at all. I would have, at, at one time, John asked me if this was possible, and uh, certainly it is. Uh time, space, and gravity are all essentially intertwined. That's why, uh, you know, in, in areas of extreme uh, and extreme gravity flux, for instance, around a black hole, time moves very slowly. Uh, Bob, uh, let's pause for a second. I've never had you on the air before, and now that I do, I guess the audience should be introduced to you, so I'll let you do that. Who are you, Bob? And uh, I've heard you, you are a physicist. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Boy, I didn't want to get into a whole big thing. I just kind of wanted to correct the... Uh, the. I know, but it's my job to try and get you into a whole big thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so a couple, just a couple, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a physicist. I worked out at Area S4 um, here in Nevada. Um, I was exposed to some of the alien technology. Uh, essentially... I think what John even mentioned before was uh, my job was essentially to assist in the back engineering of the recovered crafts. I only worked on one of them, and my knowledge is only limited to the power source, more specifically the antimatter reactor, and the propulsion unit, more specifically 
the gravity amplifier. How many of these discs did you actually see, your own eyes? Nine. Nine. The, the only one I had physical contact with was one. Was one. Uh, how long were you involved in trying to back-engineer that technology? A few months, not, not a very long time. Things didn't work out very well <laughs> for a whole bunch of different reasons. You ended up leaving, they ended up erasing you, is the short story. That's correct. Um, I would ask you what I asked John earlier. Are you aware of any practical application of knowledge gained with that technology that you could point to today? Mm, actually, none at all, no. So, in other words, it's all being kept under wraps. Well, really, a whole lot hasn't been learned. The technology has been in our hands, at least some of the crash recoveries, for as long as 40 years, but uh, not a whole lot has been gleaned from that. Um, we know how certain things operate, but in duplicating them, duplicating the manufacturing process, really doesn't seem to be possible at this time. So there's... Uh, there's must be little, must anything. be very very frustrating for them. I'm going to ask you both to hold on just a moment. I'll come right back to you. I've got a very quick break to do. Stay right there. John Lear and Bob Lazar back in a moment. Let me ask you. And good morning from the home of S4 in Area 51, the state of Nevada. <laughs> this is Coast to Coast AM, live talk radio through the nighttime, Monday night, Tuesday morning, through Friday night, Saturday morning. I'm Art Bell. I've got John Lear and Bob Lazar on the phone. We're going back to both of them right now. Gentlemen, good morning again. Good morning. Um, gee, Bob, uh, back to the time thing for a second now, if we might. Um, it, you're saying, A, it would be possible. Well, it's... It's not only possible, it, it happens quite often. I, I mean, this, this sounds really far out, but uh, it's known scientific fact that the closer you are to a strong gravity force, the slower time moves. Time, gravity, and space are all intertwined like that. In fact, there was a famous experiment that was done. Two synchronized atomic clocks were placed side by side. They read the same time and one was put at sea level, the other was put up at a, either in a plane or a high mountaintop, I don't recall which, and when they were brought back together, they both read different times. Mm. That was because of the, the change in gravity. One was further away from the source of gravity, being the Earth. Now, if you can artificially create a tremendous gravitational field, you can slow the effects of time down for the person that's in that distorted field. Now, the practical implications would be very difficult. First of all, all that would do would be slow down time for you. Everyone else essentially continues along the normal pace, so it, it appears that you move forward in time. As far as moving back, I haven't the slightest idea how you would do that, but it's, it's certainly possible uh, forward in time. In fact, the shuttle astronauts, or the astronauts that went to the moon, came back, I believe, 34 seconds younger than their counterparts here just because of the gravity changes that they went through. Wow. Uh, is this not a, a, a... Isn't there a similar phenomenon associated uh, theoretically with black holes or the edge, the event horizon of black holes, Bob? Just, just because that's, you know, a tremendous gravitational field, and in fact, at the very event horizon of a black hole, time doesn't increment at all. For instance, if you walked over 
to that area near the event horizon or somehow was able to survive it, spent a second there, you could come back to Earth and a billion years could have elapsed. You know, the, the time reference is completely changed. So the whole key is distorting gravity, creating a strong gravitational field, which, in fact, is how the crafts, these crafts they have at S4 are powered. And... Um, they bend uh, or jump through bends in space or create bends in space. How would you explain that, Bob? Well, they, they essentially create them. They're using uh, a device to artificially create gravity. This device, in turn, part of its nature, gravity distorts time and space. It bends space. It bends time. And this is how they, this is how they travel. Uh, the discussion I got into John was, well, gee, you know, could it, is it possible to build something like that? Well, yeah, if you did have an antimatter reactor, a gravity amplifier, and somehow it could contain the field so it wouldn't crush the occupant, and... Uh, yeah, I guess I know where there's a gravity amplifier just not too many miles from here, huh? <laughs> right, getting it's the problem. <laughs> um, so... If you could put your hands on something like that, that might be then one practical application of the alien technology. Well, is it that practical, though? <laughs> well, you th did that's a good question. Something like that and could turn it on, sit in a chair, and uh, it, there's really, I don't see any way of going back, but theoretically there should be. Uh -huh. I, I did ask John this, and let me try it on you. He couldn't answer it, said I ought to ask you. If you could, uh, first of all, could a biological entity pass through a black hole um, without being disrupted or something? And if so, what would be on the other side, Bob? I don't know, and I don't, I don't believe anyone does know. Um, there just isn't enough information about black holes to, to come up with that answer. As a guess, you know... Uh, you look at it from a physical standpoint, the gravitational tidal forces entering the black hole should absolutely <laughs> obliterate anything that even comes near it. But, you know, stranger things have happened, and maybe not. So, so really, who knows? How much technology are you missing, aside from the gravity amplifier, uh, the ability to, uh, to make a time machine, or in fact, in, in fact something that would cause you to travel through time? Uh, are we missing a lot of other technology, or given the gravity amp, could you go from there? Well, you don't even, you really don't even have to do that. Another way is, uh, you know, just accelerating close to the speed of light slows time also. Uh, that doesn't take any technology, so it's probably not the safest thing to do. Um, what would theoretically occur to somebody who either came came to is it possible bob to exceed uh, uh, the, the speed of light in the physical universe without bending uh, uh, warping space to do it oh it's not no no it's not as you got near the speed of light what would occur in all likelihood to a biological entity all kinds of things first of all it's not it would you now because of several things that occur one of them being is mass increase as you approach the speed of light you begin to increase in mass, and therefore it requires more energy to propel you further, or faster, rather. Uh, you kind of get stuck in a little loop there. Um, so then great distances really are never going to be traveled that way. No, they can't be. That, uh, that just isn't practical. On top of that, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> you can go on for a long time about that. It's not practical. It really isn't. Okay.
Um, I guess you left the project with the discs at one point. Uh, you do our audience a great favor by describing in as much detail as you're able to what it is you saw and worked on, Bob. I worked on one particular craft um, that I called the sport model because of its very sleek appearance. Um, Specifically, like I mentioned before, there was a small reactor that was removed from the craft, and we essentially back-engineered it. What we needed to do was find out not only how it worked, but uh, also very important to the project was to see if this technology could be duplicated. One of the main problems in uh, any kind of aircraft um, is power, and with a tremendous amount of power you can basically do anything and here's a reactor that operates you know many times more efficiently than a uh, a fission reactor or more efficiently than a, a fusion reactor which we haven't even developed yet um, you know ever could and it supplies a tremendous amount of power and this is essentially where we decided to start from was to work from here and then then go on but uh, in all the time that they had this and the time that I spent there, the short time that I spent there, really there's, there's just not a lot you can do. We just don't have the materials to duplicate it. Any ideas what this craft was made of, what kind of metal uh, or substance it was? Uh, I, I say it's metal just because I felt it. It felt cold. It had the appearance of metal. Um, the grain structure appeared to be uh, metal, but I don't know. I, you know, like... I'm sure John has mentioned the information is very compartmentalized. And could you describe the interior of the craft? Were you inside? Interior was very bare. There had been some equipment removed from it. Uh, there was a reactor. There were two seats. There were two consoles left. One large console. I call them a console. There was nothing on top. Uh, one of them was removed. Uh, I believe they're part of the gravity amplifiers that are connected directly underneath. Uh, they're in a triad formation. These, these are going to be some silly questions, uh, Bob, but were there windows? I mean, by what m manner could you see or understand any of the technology that was in front of you, normal buttons, switches, gauges, or...? Really, really wasn't anything like that. Uh, buttons and switches, there wasn't, it really wasn't even wiring. Um, and I, I know that sounds really bizarre, but it, it really isn't that <laughs> that strange. A lot of the uh, a lot of the equipment it almost appeared to be uh, something similar to a Tesla coil. The way uh, <laughs> so every time I hit on a topic, I have to regress and sure I understand what I'm talking about. But it almost seemed like every piece of equipment was tuned to whatever it was supposed to be receiving signals from. And it, uh, it was essentially electrical power transmission without wires, which is not something far out. There was something a, a man named Tesla accomplished in the 30s. Um, however, this seemed to be along the same lines, but much more advanced. Well, while we're on the subject, do you think mankind will ever manage to bring power from space to Earth uh, through some method or another? Is it, It's the same sort of technology, I presume. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's about the best I could say about that. 
Okay. Um, well, anyway, uh, back back to these. Uh, what was it like when you went in the room? I mean, I can only imagine they would lead you in, uh, these guys with their little badges and so forth, and they would lead you into the area you were going to be working on these things, and you must have looked at them and said, you've got to be kidding. Well, it was, I only got to physically view the craft twice. Once was when I went inside to see the placement of the parts that I was to be concentrating on. The other one was in a short flight test. Um, ah, ah, a flight test. I wasn't inside. <laughs> I saw it from inside the hangar. And what did you see? Just lifted off the ground, almost silently. It had a slight hissing sound to it, um, <laughs> then drifted. It was quite amazing. I mean, I speak of it nonchalantly right now, but uh, it's, you know, there again, this was several years ago. Wow. Um, you know, again, back uh, for a second to magnetism, uh, large magnetic fields have indeed done strange things. Do, do you uh, recall anything of the story the Philadelphia experiment? I've heard a lot about it. And uh, I want to run things. Uh, this is an unusual opportunity, Bob, so I want to run something by you. Uh, I had a friend, somebody I regarded as truly honest and extremely credible, and he told me about an experiment uh, that he saw, participated in, in Arizona, in which a very extremely large electromagnetic uh, field was created. And he claims that, uh, that he saw something disappear. I mean, flat, completely, poof, disappear when exposed to this field. Is such thing possible? Uh, well... That's kind of a loaded question. Is it possible for something to disappear when exposed to a large electromagnetic field? Yes. Do I think it, that happened during the Philadelphia experiment? No. Do I think that mankind right now is capable of doing that? No. There isn't sufficient power generated in the entire output of the planet at this time to create a field of that distortion. Wow. Uh, would the power plants... Uh, inside these disks be capable of that kind of generation? Yes. Yes. What, uh, what, uh, what, what was the fuel of these uh, craft, Bob? Uh, there, there had to be there's some sort of fuel, energy burned, expended, used, right? Yeah, the uh, fuel was, well, let me digress for a moment here, that there are three types of nuclear reactions. One's a fission reaction, which everyone's familiar with. It's uh, essentially how atomic bombs work. It's a splitting of atoms and uh, causing a chain reaction. It releases X amount of energy. Another more efficient reaction is a fusion reaction, which releases a little more energy. Both of these, for instance, when put in bombs, whether they're thermonuclear, the hydrogen bomb, or the fission bomb, an atomic bomb, they use about nine-tenths of 1% of that fuel gets converted into the actual explosive energy. Now, if you really think about that, when you're dealing with um, a plutonium bomb, for instance, you're dealing with, oh, somewhere on the order of about 8 pounds of plutonium, which is about the size, it's a little bigger than a golf ball. Now, 8 tenths of 1% of that makes that giant explosion that you see. All the other material is wasted. That's how efficient that explosion is. Mm -hmm. Now, an annihilation reaction, 
which is a conversion, a, the, the direct conversion of matter to energy is 100% efficient all the time. And you can see if, um, if that were put into a bomb. I made a tape explaining this, <laughs> so I didn't have to. <laughs> so you didn't have to explain it all the time to people like me. Right. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't understand. get stuck on the radio. All right. As long as we're in the categories of fusion, I, w I want to ask one more uh, question in that category, and it has to do with cold fusion. A uh, number of people, even some very recent claims of the creation of cold fusion, I uh, is it going to be possible, uh, Bob, do you think, eventually to have a cold fusion process? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. I'll, I'll make a bet on it right now. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. So what was it that these scientists... about a power source. What was it that, yeah, what was it that these scientists came up with that caused the bubbling and the heating and the, you know, the, the apparent uh, creation of energy? Any idea what it was? I, I'm sticking with Los Alamos' explanation was essentially an electrochemical uh, reaction that took place. Uh, did fusion occur? No. There were far, far too many experiments done that uh, supposedly duplicate experiments, and uh, I mean these yielded no results at all, mm -hmm. uh, and the physics behind it don't make any sense either. All right. The uh, again going back to the discs, the the fuel they use apparently is element something or another uh, that goes beyond our table of elements. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, element one fifteen. It's not an absolute definite, but that's what it appears to be. Element 115. 114. Chances are it's 115. Uh -huh. And um, interestingly I've enough, it's a stable element, and I was familiar with the way the periodic table works, the way elements go. Uh, as they get higher and higher on the periodic chart, they become less and less stable and begin to decay. But uh, this is a stable element. And again, this isn't something that's a total surprise. I mean, we've known all the way since the 50s and, si well, probably the 60s, uh, that somewhere there's a magic combination of protons and neutrons that, again, somewhere in the higher elements will make a stable element. And apparently that does happen up at that level. Have you had your hands on any 115, Bob? I have had my hands very close to it. Is there any 115 that exists outside of S4 now? You don't have to answer all of these, Bob. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> That's a good answer. Um, uh, let me, since I've got the two of you on the line, uh, what would you say is your greatest area of agreement, the two of you? That we live in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, that makes the next one then very easy. He's going to say that I'm nuts. No, no, I, I'm just kidding around. I, uh, John has a lot. I essentially have cut off whatever I haven't had contact with. So there can be talks of reptilian-like aliens or abductions and things like that. And I know there's lots of evidence that, that people were abducted, and uh, I did see the thing on Fox the other day with a guy that got burns on him, and that's, that's right. all interesting. But right. it, it's something strange that happens to you once you've been actually involved with something. You kind of put blinders on to the rest <laughs> of the world. And now you only want to deal with something that you physically had hands-on experience with. Oh, very much like what I said earlier. And you've had hands-on one of these discs. Uh, have you hey, ever seen... Oh, I, now I'm kind of taking 
the attitude some people take towards me, but I'm not doing it on purpose. I, well, you know, if I actually get abducted, then I'll start believing that. And that's, you but, know, but, I don't but, but I'm curious. that way, but that's, that's just the way I think. Well, yeah, but Bob, why, having had your hands on a disc, are you not easily uh, able to make the leap to the, the grays or the blacks or any of the other 80, uh, 80 supposed uh, uh, varieties of aliens? in terms of accepting their existence? Well, these, I'm sure there are other civilizations all over the place. I just, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't seen evidence of other civilizations, I guess. Are you absolutely convinced that those disks and that technology uh, did not come from or originate here on Earth? Oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, unless they were robots, somebody brought them here then. Oh, certainly, you know, some form of other creature had to have brought them here. There's no doubt about that. Um, I just don't know if there are a hundred different civilizations visiting Earth. I don't know if a hundred other civilizations could find it. <laughs> um, this, this... It's possible, I just... I just shy away from that. All right, this sounds then like an area of disagreement between the two of you. Uh, I really can't take a stance on it because I don't know. This is just a personal feeling. You, you sort of are cautious, though, in, in commenting in that area. Sure. Uh, what would you two say is the biggest disagreement you have regarding all of this? Would that be it, or is there some other area? I, I don't know. You'd have to ask John. How about it, John? I don't think we have... Uh, I can't think of a, a real disagreement so no real disagreements all right gentlemen um i would uh i'm going to do my best to hold on to you for a while here if i can bob uh and maybe even take a few calls you up for that kind of thing are, are you up or are you ready to go sleep <laughs> sleep is kind of on my priority list here is it uh can you give me a few more minutes sure all right very good then uh both of you stand by what a what a distinct pleasure uh bob lazar and uh, and John Lear, uh, both here, both uh, together uh, again. I guess they are frequently. And uh, we'll get them back on the air together here in a moment. On the CBC and BRN Radio Network. I'm Art Bell, and I will tell you later how to get copies, uh, taped copies of this program, because I know there's a lot of people having conniption fits now, wanting one. We'll be back in a moment. Again, from the great American Southwest, I'm Art Bell, and uh, Bob Lazar and John Lear are both with me at the moment. Back to them we go. Uh, gentlemen, you're on the air once again. You doing, Art? Uh, good morning. Uh, Bob, while we've still got you, uh, you know, after you've gone through all this, this disaster uh, that's been what? How long has this been going on now, Bob? Uh, for a couple of years now? Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you want to say to everybody about go having gone through all this? I mean, would you do it again? Would you go public again? Or would you say, boy, I'd no more open my mouth than the man in the moon? I don't know. It's a tough call. It's something that has to be decided on, you know, as, as things are happening. But at the, 
given the same set of circumstances, I probably would have done the same thing, perhaps a little different. Uh, a lot of magazines are writing a lot of things about both of you. Uh, do you find they generally get it right, or is it exaggerated uh, baloney that most of them print? Well, most of the people don't have access to the information, and I'm part of the problem. I don't do interviews. I don't do talk shows. I don't do. Any, I don't go around and give lectures. I just don't do anything. Um, and I'm constantly being hounded for information. Uh, so without the information, they tend to make some of it up, probably. Well, so some of the information has come out, especially in George Knapp's special. I, I you know, that's where I essentially spilled my guts said everything that happened to me and kind of want to or wanted to really leave it at that the technical information i made a tape about for the people that really wanted to know the nitty-gritty and left it at that and, and that was it and you know people would look through those two things you know everything essentially that i experienced and happened was was contained within those two things um but you know, inevitably things get screwed up, and uh, a lot of hearsay, and there's an awful 99.9% uh, .9 of the UFO community is uh, are crazy. These these people are just absolutely out of their minds, and I really want to have nothing to do with them. And uh, they're they're tied in with I mean all kinds of strange factions of groups, and uh, yeah, it, it's really impossible to weed out any real information coming from most of these sources, these magazines, and even the larger groups. So I really have to stay away from it. And that gets people upset and thinks I'm trying to you know, hide things from them, and I'm called government agents and stuff like that. And uh, it's, you know, the, the list is never ending. Um, 99 and 9 tenths percent, uh, Bob? <laughs> Perhaps more. But, um, uh, w with your continued association then with John Lear, I take it you view him in one of the uh, top uh, very small percentage points of those who may be on to something? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't really associate with John, <laughs> John Lear does his own thing, and I, you know, I... And there's an awful 99.9% .9 of the UFO community is uh, are crazy. These these people are just absolutely out of their minds, and I really want to have nothing to do with them. And uh, they're they're tied in with I mean all kinds of strange factions of groups, and uh, yeah, it, it's really impossible to weed out any real information coming from most of these sources, these magazines, and even the larger groups. So I really have to stay away from it. And that gets people upset and thinks I'm trying to you know, hide things from them, and I'm called government agents and stuff like that. And uh, it's, you know, the, the list is never-ending. Um, 99 and 9 tenths percent, uh, Bob? <laughs> Perhaps more. But, um, uh, w with your continued association then with John Lear, I take it you view him in one of the uh, top uh, very small percentage points of those who may be on to something? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't really associate with John, John Lear does his own thing, and I, you know, I I don't. John, uh, comments? Yeah, we, we have uh, some of my ideas are far out because I'm not a scientist. Bob is a scientist. 
he dealt with things that, that he saw with, worked with, were proven to him. Uh, to me, it's, you know, all I'm dealing with is, is, is speculation. Well, to the casual... That's what I've heard, and, uh, and that's what I deal with. Well, exactly, but to the casual observer, somebody like me, everything you've told me, John, about uh, how they travel, the uh, means of propulsion, uh, the kind of creatures they are, all the rest of this sort of thing, uh, is is underwritten or strengthened by what Bob Lazar says. Uh, I mean, don't you realize that, Bob? You're saying, I saw the discs. Yes, they exist. Well, yeah, the, the information, like I said, the only information I know are the technical aspects of the craft. And that information John has, we've talked about that, and he understands it, and the information that he relays like that is absolutely correct, and I, I'll verify that. I, I actually got to work with that stuff. Um, I don't know, you know, I aliens didn't take me to their planet. I don't have proof where they came from. I don't know how any deal was cut. I don't know about abductions. I don't know about all right. that other stuff. Right. Listen to me. We've got to stop here. I've got a newscast I've got to do. Please stay around just a little while longer, will you, Bob? Sure. All right. Stay uh, right there. When you visit Las Vegas, you can enjoy yourself at Jackie Gons Plaza Hotel at the top of Main and Fremont. We invite you to participate on the Talk of the Web. 1-800-257-3825. And now, back to John Lear and Bob Lazar. You're both back on the air again. Okay. Well, uh, this is all flooring me a bit, but it's fun. <laughs> just like to say it's really a privilege to be on with Bob. I you know, he is my friend, but he just never goes on any of these interviews, and uh, it's, it's just really nice to, to have him on for once. To he doesn't back me up on everything, but he does back me up in, on the stuff that he saw. Well, let's try a question on you here. That's a very nice compliment for Bob. If Bob Lazar did get the the equipment or the technology and ever did build a time machine, would you sit in it while he pulled the switch? Sure. You would. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would, Bob. No, it's it's strange. I've I get a lot of letters from people, and uh, there have been of quite a few people that really think that I have a time machine, and I would I would really like to know how this got started. I mean, there are people with honest requests wanting to know how much that I would charge them. They need to go back to the fifties to rescue their their brother from being killed or something like that, and. They, you know, I really have to make it clear. I, I really don't have a time machine, and I don't possess the technology to make one either. Right. So, uh, please don't don't write to me asking that. Well, there is this though, Bob. If you had uh, built a time machine using some of that technology, um, would you be likely to admit it? Hmm. <laughs> that may give you some clues to why people think that you may have it, even though you say you don't. Yeah, well... <laughs> I'd, I'd like to just... Pretty well taken, I guess. <laughs> I would like to uh, take just a couple of calls just for the fun of it, uh, and let's see if uh, anybody has any questions. Listen, uh, before we do, can I just tell the folks how to get a hold of this tape that Bob put out, because he won't advertise himself, but yeah, I really okay. think it's important that... If you do want to know uh, about this technology and what Bob saw up at the test site, he does have a videotape available, and you can write to Tri-Dot Corporation, that's T-R-I-D-O-T, Tri-Dot Corporation, 1324 Southeastern, and that's in Las Vegas, 
and it's Las Vegas 89104. And the price is $29.95 plus $3 shipping and handling. And uh, if you want to know about this stuff, you just can't make a better investment. I know Bob doesn't advertise this very much, but I think it's really important. Yeah, and there's going to be another one, too, isn't there, Bob? Uh, yeah, it's kind of in the works, and but that uh, tape was a lot of people that viewed the first tape. It, it was, it's a technical tape, but it's made for the layman to understand all the technology and how, how it works. And uh, there's just been a request for a tape that goes heavy into the physics. Uh, a lot of technical people, scientists, and that sort of thing uh, want all the specifics exactly formulas and things along those lines, and uh, that's what the second tape will probably cover. Uh, I'm not really sure about that yet. Nothing's been done with it. And uh, you know. What kind of technology would that give away? Well, really, we're t just talking about the uh, how specifically the amplifiers work, uh, things, things along those lines. With, with the knowledge, uh, Bob, of roughly how they work, would it be possible for somebody on this earth uh, to to eventually, do you feel, build or duplicate that technology and build something that would do what that power plant does? Well, it's just a matter of having access to certain materials um, with some super heavy elements, such as element 115. Um, with the proper materials, we could absolutely build it. Uh, the technology is not millions of years ahead of us. Uh, you're looking at technology that's maybe hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of us. It's not that phenomenal. It really isn't. Uh, a lot of people you know, talk about it being even billions of years, and it, it really isn't. This technology is not that far-fetched once you get your hands around it. So it is quite feasible that we could eventually duplicate these systems but not with materials that we have readily available right now. Mm -hmm. There'd have to be another source for these materials. Uh, coming in, I asked this uh, of, of John earlier, and it's another one he couldn't quite answer, but came up with a good answer nevertheless. Uh, I heard an astrologer uh, who said that the sun, uh, over the last two months, Bob, has lost roughly one-tenth of one percent of its output. Now, while I guess the output of the sun, which is a nuclear dynamo, <laughs> It does vacillate a little bit. This seemed to that person somewhat worrisome. Uh, any, any comments on that? I wouldn't be really concerned. I mean, the sun has a tremendous hydrogen supply, which is being, you know, fusion reaction is being converted to helium, and uh, you don't really have to be concerned about anything running out for probably about five billion years. And then at that point, there would be some pretty dramatic changes. There's no real problem that could develop in it causing enough of a, a drop to, to affect us ecologically. Well, as a matter of fact, when the sun begins to run out of fuel, it's going to swell. <laughs> so it's not going to burn out uh, like a candle. All right. Uh, indulge just a couple calls here. We are a talk show. Um, Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with uh, Art Bell, John Lear, and Bob Lazar. Ah, I finally made it in. Good, good, good. Where are you calling from, sir? Uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. All right. All right. What I wanted to uh, ask about um, the saucers and the alien technology was uh, they must operate off from some type of uh, communication frequency. Is it any 
uh, way possible to put together some sort of a transmitter so that uh, one could uh, start putting out a, uh, a signal to them. All right, it's a good question. Uh, Bob, any insights uh, into whatever communications capabilities they had? Well, what bothers me with the communication, and of course there must be some in the craft, is that because of the gravitational field, everything is going to be distorted around the craft, whether it's radio waves, whether it's light waves. And in fact, someone had asked earlier uh, how crafts, I think they asked how craft seemingly disappears or underneath it. Well, this again is characteristic of the gravity amplifier that it actually pulls light around it. For instance, I even mentioned in my tape that uh, there are stars that are behind the sun, where the sun actually blocks our view, and we can see those stars. The reason why is the sun has a tremendous amount of gravity, pulls the light from the star up and around the sun so we can see it. Hmm. In these disks, when they're operating, if they're in something called an Omicron configuration, if you're standing underneath the disk, you can't see it. You can only see the sky above it by the way light is bent around the craft. Now, the way I understand this to envelop the craft, I can't see how radio waves can get into the craft. And that's, that's something that's puzzled me for a while. So there must be some other form of communication. Would, would, the, uh, uh, would the gravity amplifiers uh, themselves possibly provide the key uh, to the kind of communication they used? In other words, something uh, propelled or moved through time or space or both uh, with the same technology. In other words, each new technology, lasers, for example, can be modulated, and uh, and you can use light to uh, uh, to to pass voice. And so, I wonder if their technology might have in it a key uh, to their communications. It's quite possible. Quite possible. There is something called <laughs> along the lines of a gravity phone. Yeah. Something that John and I have spoke about in, in depth. Um, that it, it essentially is a gravity amplifier with a modulated output, and it is received. Um, again, you know, this is just a, an educated guess, but uh, it's certainly possible. But as far as there being a frequency you can tune in or transmit, I, I, don't, I haven't seen anything along those lines that uh, the crafts would receive. So then their communications might be every bit as uh, advanced or different uh, would be a better way to put it than anything we're familiar with, traditional RF frequencies and so forth. Probably, because they're traveling such tremendous distances, uh, the crafts would get there years before their transmission did. So they can't use regular radio transmission. They have to use something that actually bends one, time and space. Yeah, one would think that uh, any insight into that at all might give one the ability eventually then to communicate, if not travel, to these creatures, but communicate with their their point of origin. Right, I agree. Uh-huh. Uh, Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM, with the group. Hello, are you there? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, turn your radio off, number one. Okay, okay. I've been trying to get through to you for a long time. Where are you calling from? I'm calling in from Las Vegas. All right. Go ahead. Uh, the first question is, uh, this uh, directed to John Lear. Do the aliens have a philosophy about their own creator or creation? Uh, number two, the super clarity that is to be built in Texas. Is that going to give any clue as to mm. their uh, 
technological technological advances. All right. Well, there's a question for each one of the. I don't know really the philosophy, and uh, I'd like to hear Bob's answer on that super collider. I've heard many people say, "Oh, they're they're building that to to make 115," and I and I never asked Bob about it. Element 115, Bob. Uh, what about what can you tell us about the super collider? Well, I to be honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about the super collider. Uh, I I do know the basic plan and. Uh, you know what they're what they're attempting to do. Um, is it going to be used to make 115? No. Did, you know, again, this if you're going to assemble a, an incredibly heavy element like that, uh, other elements that we've synthesized up to 109, uh, and that hasn't been really documented. Uh, but these have been put in accelerators for an incredibly long time at at, at a at a tremendous cost of electrical power. And, you know, we essentially have a yield of one or two atoms of the substance. If you're talking about something much higher than that, like an element 115, it, it's just inconceivable. You'd have to have this tremendous thing running at full power for decades <laughs> to, to wind up with, with several atoms uh, of a substance, it, if it can be done. So I've always contended that Element 115 has got to, or it, it, it must have been naturally created. All right. Um, I'm right on top of another break, and gee whiz, there's just not enough time to say goodbye, so I guess you'll have to stay there for a minute. Stand by, <laughs> both of you. That's uh, known as the uh, one of the tricks of the trade. You're listening to the CBC and BRN Network right back. WN Las Vegas. Epicurean Dining Excellence. The classic, overworked, overstated restaurant cliche used from New York to Los Angeles and all points in between. Finally, however, a restaurant in Las Vegas not only lives up to, but actually surpasses that lofty cliche. The Mayflower Restaurant. The restaurant chinois of Las Vegas. Come savor the succulence of California-style Chinese cuisine with French and continental influences found only at the Mayflower Restaurant. The Mayflower features such delicacies as Mongolian grilled lamb chops with cilantro mint sauce, grilled salmon with ginger butter sauce, and roast duck salad with plum vinaigrette. Enjoy your meal inside in casual elegance or dine outside on our climate-controlled patio. Every ingredient used at the Mayflower is gourmet. The only thing you'll find at the Mayflower that is not gourmet are our prices. Visit the Mayflower Restaurant on Sahara and Decatur at the Sahara Pavilion in the Oasis Food Court or call 870-8432. For every person who listens to the financial news and actually understands it, there are thousands of otherwise intelligent people baffled by the world of money and investing. Turning to the Nikkei Index, investments That's why people are discovering the Wall Street Journal Guide to Understanding Money and Markets. This 120-page book is easy reading with useful information that helps explain the ins and outs of finance. Durable goods orders, surprise. Learn how to spot trends in stocks, the difference between 
treasury bills, notes, and bonds, what no-load mutual funds are. You'll get this handy guide, a $13.95 value, free, when you subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. The dollar mixed, affecting the pound. Yes. Get the guide and 13 weeks of the journal for just $37, more than 20% off the newsstand price. So if you're left scratching your head when you hear HSR is issuing baby bonds in order to... Then maybe it's time you cleared up a few financial mysteries. Call toll-free 1-800-548-0600. The International Association of Lions Clubs in Southern Nevada are working with lens crafters in collecting used eyeglasses. The glasses may be dropped off at any lens crafter store in the Las Vegas area between now and New Year's Day. Donated glasses will be cleaned, repaired, classified by prescription, and distributed on a mission this coming spring. Help the Lions Clubs in Southern Nevada. Donations have grown from 6,000 pair in 1988 to more than 400,000 pair last year nationwide. Hi, this is Muriel Stevens inviting you to join me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. at the Good Table. Our menu is a special treat, so you won't want to miss it. Remember, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at noon, right here on KDWN. Again, from the home of S4, Area 51, and Bob Lazar and John Lear. They're my guests. I'm Art Bell. We're going back now to the phones, and uh, you're both back on the air again. Yeah, Art, I don't know how you did it. That's a, again, it's an honor for me to be on the same program with Bob. I, uh, I know the Pope couldn't get an interview with him. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> It really is. Uh, well, it's, it's, it is indeed an honor to have you here, Bob. Thank it really you. is. Um, if I might, let's let's expose you both to uh, some more of the people. Um, Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with a group. Good morning. Oh, yes. Boy, I'm really honored. Uh, this is my second time. I called earlier on the uh, first-time caller line. Uh, you couldn't remember my third question, which had to do with Atlantis. Oh, thank you. Uh, yes, thank you, and uh, thank you for the call uh, back. Uh, uh, John, that's right. It was about it was Atlantis. Yes, there, there probably, you know, is based in fact for a lot of mythology. The, the one thing that, that, that I can't find any information on is where did the myth of the dragon come from? Was there really something? I mean, usually there is a basis in, in, in fact of, of most mythology. Something happened to, to make that, but I've always wondered where the dragon came from. Hmm. All right. Well, at least you addressed it. Thank you. Uh, good morning. You're on the air, coast to coast AM with uh, the group here. All right. Hold on. Let me turn down my radio. Where are you calling from? Uh, Arizona. Arizona. All right. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to know before you, I'm picking up off of Kadon, so you're about ready to go out. But I want to know where I can get the tapes from, the copies of them. All right. They, I'm sure that'll please them. Um, John, uh, why don't you go ahead and give out the uh, the address where the... Tri-Dot Corporation, T-R-I-D-O-T Corporation, and it's 1324. That's 1324 Southeastern. 
and it's Las Vegas, Nevada, 89104. 89104, and it's $29.95 plus $3 shipping and handling. And you'll really enjoy it. All right. Uh Bob, a question for you. Has anybody um, who's heard these stories or any of the publications or any official government agency subjected you to any sort of uh, 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 truth-telling trauma, Um, injections, uh, machines hooked up to you, anything to try and verify what you've said? Uh, Well, when I first mentioned it to the, uh, you know television network up here uh i did i voluntarily took lie detector tests but no i never took any tooth serum and no one else has uh come after me or forced me to do anything our local news anchor um on channel eight uh i guess went along with you and went along with you and looked at and investigated uh what was his uh personal determination uh, after he finished looking in, finished looking into this and did his show do you know uh george knapp you mean that's right uh i'd like to answer that question uh he was so such a firm believer that he uh he nearly discredited himself on a news show by when one of the the girls said well george what do you think and instead of the stock newsman's answer of saying uh, well, I think this deserves more investigation. He said, I believe it. And he was uh, called to task by his boss for saying that. So, Did he see anything that we didn't see? Uh, may, have, may have had access to some information. Uh, but now, George wasn't that ardent of a believer in the beginning, as I wasn't either before I got involved with the project. But uh, George did go to great lengths. Uh, traveling with me to Los Alamos and, uh, I mean, going all over the place, tracing down leads, and uh, things added up quickly to someone put that put in that much effort, and uh, he essentially put everything together and, uh, you know. Yes, I have that show on tape. It was really something. Really something. All right, uh, w- just one more very quick interruption, gentlemen. I'll be right back to you. Stay right there. Uh, my guests are John Lear and Bob Lazar, and uh, if you've been with us and you well understand the nature of the discussion, if not, then stay tuned. If you own a gun or want to have the right to do so, your rights are under attack like never before. If you don't stand up for your rights today, I warn you, you won't have those rights tomorrow. That's why I urgently need you to get a pencil, because in just a minute, I'm going to give you a toll-free number to call so you can join the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. As a member of the Citizens Committee, you receive a membership card, a monthly newsletter, plus legislative action alerts aimed at protecting your gun rights. Membership costs only $15, a small price to pay to protect your right to keep and bear arms. It's so important that you join today. If you call now, I'll make sure that you get the 168-page special edition of the Gun Rights Factbook free. Call 1-800-452-9100. Join today. Call now and get your membership card, monthly newsletter, plus legislative action alert and free book. Membership is only $15, and remember, the call and book are free. 800 452 to 9100. You can use Visa or MasterCard. Call now. It's time to stand up and be counted. 1-800-452-9100. From Jackie Gons Plaza downtown, this is KDWN Las Vegas.
morning again from Las Vegas. I'm Art Bell on the CBC and BRN radio networks. Let me take care of something real quick here, and we'll plow back in with clear sailing. The perfect gift, as I've described to you earlier, for any woman is flowers. I mean, there's no question about it. I don't care whether it's a birthday or an anniversary or just uh, I'm, I'm sorry or I'm happy or I'm in love or whatever it is. Flowers always cut it. And flowers are always cut when they're sent... <laughs> sent from uh, absolutely fresh flowers. No kidding, it's the perfect gift because you don't have to go out and shop for it. You can do it right from home. You can order from home. I'm going to tell you how in a second. Uh, you don't have to go wrap it up, take it to the post office, mail it across the country because they'll deliver it on the day you specify anywhere in the country. It's, uh, it's really, th there's no deal like it. And there are, since you're dealing, you see, directly with a flower farm instead of a retail outlet, <laughs> you get the best deal um, straight out. So order now. Christmas time is here, and if you've been delaying, here's a way to take care of it just like that. The number is 1-800-562-6438. 1-800-562-6438. Absolutely fresh flowers. And uh, John Lear and Bob Lazar, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I... Uh, is there anything, uh, Bob, that uh, since you don't make public appearances and you don't go on talk shows, is there anything that you've been wanting to say to the public and haven't had a chance to for a while now? Uh, no, not nothing that comes to mind at the spur of the moment. All right, uh, let's take a couple of more calls. Uh, good morning, uh, Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air, coast to coast AM with the group here. Yeah, I'd like to direct my question to John Lear. Um, <clears throat> what any of this has to do with the English wheat fields where they make those designs and uh, which aliens changed this, those 64 different modifications? Was it the grays? All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, the crop circles first. Obviously, it has something to do with the, uh, the crop circles, but I don't know what, and, and I don't interest myself much with that, that phenomenon. It's, it's pretty weird, and I, I read the magazines and stuff and look at it, but, but I don't know anything about it. Well, I'm, I'm interested in directing a little of that to, to Bob. Bob, uh, since you're a physicist, these damn crop circles, they really are all over the world. They're in Australia. They're in too many places for two guys and a board and a chain, you know? Uh, what, could they, what could they be? I don't know. Certainly, um, it can be. I mean, it's possible. Of, I'm sure there are other explanations. It could certainly be the footprint of of one of the crafts. Uh, the crafts can certainly be at altitude and compress um, a wheat field down like that. That's that's not a problem. Uh, as far as what else it could possibly be, some other prosaic explanation, I really, I really don't know. And John, I think there was more of a question for you. Yeah. Um, he said, "What what, what group was it that uh, that did the genetic alterations?" I like. Bob to answer that because he's the one that read the document and I just quote from what he said. All right. Um, that was supposedly the what people call the grays, the rays from zeta reticuli. Um, so, okay. Uh, let's just keep moving here. Uh, good morning. You're on the air Coast to Coast AM with uh, Art Bell, John Lear, and Bob Lazar. Yes, uh, this question's for Bob Lazar. Uh, I was reading an article in the Los Angeles Times for November, and it was regarding a uh, experiment going on uh, approximately two miles 
inside uh, Mount Andriecki in uh, southern Russia with uh, Vladimir Garvin uh, regarding the neutrino. Are you familiar with that at all? I'm familiar with a neutrino, but not the experiment they're conducting. Oh, really? Well, uh, I suggest that you get that article. is in the Los Angeles Times, and very enlightening. I was uh, uh, curious if you uh, were able to make any uh, connection between the, the uh, neutrino and the uh, Gillian, Gillian experiment, but done, being done by, it's called SAGE, S-A-G-E. What, what, what specifically were the Russians doing? Well, it's a uh, combination uh, uh, Soviet and uh, uh, U.S. experiment uh, uh, with their, uh, uh, I was hoping you could answer the question, but um, uh, they're uh, particularly looking for subatomic matter. All right. Mean uh, like quarks and things of that sort? Yes. Uh, all right. Thank you. Is, is that the purpose of, uh, one of the purposes of the accelerator in Texas they're building? Well, that's certainly one of them. Uh, it, it's kind of a useful tool. There are a lot of things you can do with an accelerator on the subatomic level, but certainly one of them is uh, the building blocks, what actually compromises protons and neutrons, and uh, looking at the different flavors, as they say, of quarks and uh, other subatomic particles that only exist in areas of extreme energy and only come into an or only were in existence at the very creation of the universe. So in exploring the subatomic world, you're kind of looking back in time. Bob, again, I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a physicist, but I heard uh, also from this astronomer, perhaps a question directed at him earlier, that we are from time to time able to detect neutrinos from the sun here on Earth. Is that correct? Well, first of all, our neutrino detectors aren't really <laughs> worth very much. Um, but, yeah, n neutrinos, n neutrinos are not, not only produced by the sun, but we, we can detect them. Neutrinos will go clear through the Earth. In fact, mm -hmm. it's theorized that uh, a light year of lead... I mean, it's like somewhere on the order of six trillion miles of lead would not stop a neutrino. Um, wow. That's why I was interested to see what what experiments the Russians were were doing with neutrinos, since it'd be very hard to interact them with any matter. Well, the further comment was there was worry uh, that they have not been detecting as many neutrinos as they once did, and this was some sort of source of worry. Well, uh, neutrinos really don't do anything. That's that's. I would find it difficult for it to be a source of worry. Would you think there would be something uh, approximating miniature black holes? Would such a thing exist, Bob? Oh, I would think that's certainly possible. You know, remnants of a collapsed star, like any black hole is theorized to come from, uh, certainly there can be a, a small one. In fact, one of the uh, explanations for what happened in the in, uh, where was that, in Russian Tunguska, I yeah. think it's pronounced. Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the theories, that uh, a small black hole collided there, uh, a piece of antimatter landed there. They had all, all kinds of um, explanations for that. Would, would the damage done there fit what would probably occur were, were we to ever collide with a black hole, collide with us would be more like it? It would have to be very small. Uh, and... Who knows what happens when you collide with a black hole? That's that's the only problem. As far as the antimatter 
explanation. Uh, I, I think they've almost ruled that out because there would be some residual uh, byproducts of that reaction that, that could probably still be detected today. But uh, there again, it, it's an after the fact. It was a long time ago. I think it was in 1918, maybe 1930. Boy, that date just slips my mind. Hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, Fascinating. Um, line 3 in Las Vegas, you're on the air coast-to-coast coast with uh, the group here. Good morning, Las Vegas, line 3. I guess not, gentlemen. Las Vegas, line 1, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, uh, my question is directed to Mr. Lear, and it has to do with the way the areas communicate. I had an experience many years ago where um, I received a message. It was a wordless knowing. Uh, you had Roy Masters as a guest, and I've heard him speak of that. It's a, the only way I can describe it, it's a wordless knowing. A wordless knowing might be described uh, as intuition. Well, um, I always thought it was a message from uh, either the creator or the savior or a guardian angel. Uh, however, uh, just listening to this program tonight, I think possibly it could be an alien because they communicate telepathically. And that's, I think, what this was. And it, by the way, it was a kind and helpful uh, uh, knowledge. It, I was following a wrong lifestyle. And after I got that wordless knowing and that message, I changed that lifestyle. All right. Thank you very much for the call. John, uh, John is that their manner of communication? So my understanding that it is mental telepathy, as, as difficult as that is to believe, that that's the way it works. Mental telepathy. Uh, any basis uh, for scientific belief in mental telepathy or, or its, uh, the possibility of it, uh, Bob? Uh I imagine it's possible, but uh, that's that's about all <laughs> that I'm going to say about that. Well, okay, uh, but you're a physicist, and if mental telepathy were possible, what uh, would be the form of energy that it might utilize, or could even possibly utilize? I don't know. That's why I, you know, really didn't comment much further on it. Uh, there really is no apparent. There really, I, there have been people that have claim it's strange because I just had this discussion today with somebody uh, about uh, remote viewing people with telekinesis yes things of that sort um, as far as telekinesis there have been several people that have claimed they can do it no one has ever been proven to be telekinetic there then there is no truth to the rumor that there were Russian experiments in that area and videotape of it the videotapes were proven to fall oh 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 they were yeah um, as far as other, uh, I personally believe that remote viewing exists because I, I saw an experiment done. Uh, taken that as being whatever form of energy would be used for uh, communication, that person was put in a Faraday shield, was essentially as a grounded screen, uh, and was shielded in, in several other ways, and there was also electromagnetic noise induced to kind of scramble any possible signal. The bottom line was, however they could see in another area, nothing affected it. So it's obviously, there again, something we know very little about, and you really can't comment on it until our knowledge base increases about that. All right. Uh, Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air, coast-to-coast, -coast, AM with the group. Uh, good morning. 
I didn't expect you to get me so quick. Well, there you are. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Phoenix, and Phoenix. I'm uh, got you on KKOB out of Albuquerque. Albuquerque, yes, sir. Uh, I want to direct uh, one question to John. And, Bob, by the way, thanks for staying on. Uh, John, last August, uh, you were talking about uh, the military building some tunnels, uh, kind of crisscrossing the country from white sand to NORAD and so on and so forth. Um, I believe the technology and everything is there, but, you know, just give me, in your wild imagination, what do you think they did with the debris? How did they hide that? All right, thank you. It's a good question. If you dig tunnels, you end up with a lot of dirt. They, uh, that's been asked several times, and uh, when they when they dug the, the supposed base at Dulce, I heard that they took the dirt and and uh, and put it 80 miles away so that there wouldn't be any debris that, that would let you see if there was something built there. Apparently, according to this article that I said on the last program in Omni Magazine, 1983, and I forget what the, the month was, uh, apparently that tunnel digger either. Uh, compacts it or, or destroys it uh, or turns it into some other form where they don't have to uh, uh, dump it somewhere else. All right. Um, when I was a youngster, uh, the man who trained me uh, in amateur radio, got me introduced to, to amateur radio, was himself a physicist. Uh, he was uh, a Polish of Polish extraction. And he was working on obtaining a nuclear... Uh, reaction or a reaction uh, of some sort from materials other than uranium. Would this would this be possible, Bob? A, a nuclear reaction? Well, a, a reaction, in other words, uh, trying to release the energy from materials other than uranium in the in the same fashion that uranium releases uh, energy. Well, then that that's a nuclear reaction. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's. Well, you can take any element, for that matter, and uh, in, involve it in a nuclear reaction. You look at the uh, look at the sun. Uh, it's a fusion reaction. It's not a fission reaction, but that's taking hydrogen and just squeezing it together, essentially, and uh, producing tremendous amounts of nuclear power and, and helium as its exhaust. Uh, this is the technology that we're striving to manufacture. Uh, this, this would be a perfect energy source. We can get hydrogen out of the water in the ocean, and essentially the only exhaust would be helium. wouldn't be radioactive debris or anything along those lines. Uh, there are some stars that use a carbon-nitrogen cycle that uh, involve carbon and nitrogen and helium and uh, another form of nuclear reaction. But these things take tremendous amounts of power to initiate, even the easiest one to start. I believe you have to hold it 10 million degrees Celsius for several seconds just to initiate it. And we've been trying to do that for about 70 years now. And, you know, we just can't, we can't produce that much temperature and, and contain it in a small area. And sustain it. I think they've, they've produced some pretty high temperatures uh, instantaneously, haven't they? Yeah, they, they have. They've uh, had some recent English experiments. Uh, in there and different technologies laser or trying laser fusion in the tokamak reactors but no one's been able to hold it long enough because if you do hold it long enough the reaction becomes self-sustaining as soon as, as long as it's fed hydrogen uh -huh. uh, have you not experimented with a hydrogen powered automobile in fact you had one didn't you bob 
Yeah, I built one uh, several years ago. I had a 1978 Trans Am, and I converted that to run on hydrogen. In fact, entered an alternate fuel contest, and I won. I drove from uh, Woodland Hills, California, to Kitt Peak, Arizona, the observatory there, on a single tank. Well, then why aren't you up hobnobbing it with the big three and being wined and dined? And in other words, why didn't they grab it and, and produce it? Well, again, this is no phenomenal technology. Uh, it, the conversion is very similar to that of converting a car to run on propane. Hydrogen's a flammable gas. A car will run on any flammable gas. The only problems were some corrections in the timing. Uh, actually, there's a few other because hydrogen burns much faster and would tend to detonate. Uh, the, the tricky part is storing it. Uh, most hydrogen cars have stored it in a liquid form which is very dangerous, explosive, and it's cryogenic. It's very mm. cold, and it boils off. And uh, it can only be stored at a certain density. So other people have stored it in gas form, which is a less density, requires more stops to refill. Again, it's dangerous. There's another way to do it, and that's to chemically store it in a material called a hydride. And this is a substance that acts like a sponge. A sponge soaks up water. A hydride is a chemical that soaks up hydrogen, and once it's locked into it chemically, it's virtually non-flammable. You can get a, a car carrying a tank full of gas would be much more dangerous. And the way you get it out is you use either the exhaust or radiator water to warm the hydride and evolve the hydrogen. The only problem here was that these hydrides, or the amount of hydride I used in one in my car, it's reusable. You can refill it with hydrogen and so on, uh, ran about $15,000. Oh. And we didn't know what the lifetime of it was. But uh, there were several corporations uh, doing research in there. One of them is a big one called Billings Energy Corporation. I don't remember where they are, but uh, it, it, they have several vehicles running on it. It's just not economically practical right now, but it's certainly a viable alternative. All right. Thanks for the story. I've always wondered about that. Line two, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with uh, the group. Hello, Art, California. Yes. Good morning, Mr. Lear and Dr. Lazar. How are you doing? Hi. I'm doctor, one... by the way. Ah, well, well. Degrees to me mean doctors unless you have a temperature. I see. <laughs> uh, my first question is for Mr. Lear. I'd like the, um, where I could get a information on that hands-off law regarding intact UFOs, fragments, and the occupants. Well, I'm glad you asked that because I just pulled that out. Uh, thinking that somebody would call, and it is 14 CFR 1211 of the Code of Federal Regulations, okay. and what it says is uh, anyone who sees and approaches a UFO and is able to touch the object may be liable for a $5,000 fine and or a year in prison if he or she does not submit to detention. Wait a minute. Have you been fined, Bob? <laughs> no, I've never heard of this before. What are you reading this from, John? From the Code of Federal Regulations, uh, 14 CFR 1211. It uh, has to do with touching UFOs. And it says what if, if you have touched a UFO? Yeah. Anybody who sees or approaches a UFO or touches the object may be liable for a $5,000 fine and or a year in prison if he or she does not submit to detention. See, Bob, just why one... submit it to detention. <laughs> well, I was going to say just one more insult. <laughs> I have a couple of questions for uh, Mr. Lazar. Very quickly. 
Uh, do you think the recent advantage, advances in ceramic metal technology will be used in a Buffard ramjet project? And the last question is, are uh, biometals being developed for use in data storage and retrieval as well as espionage? All right, thank you. Uh, can you handle that, Bob? Well, as far as what biometals are, are be using, being used for, I, I don't know. I know very little about them. Um, what was the first question? No, you, I, I couldn't possibly regurgitate that. Um, should have answered that one first because I uh, knew the answer to that one. Oh, you had that one. Uh, well, darn. Uh, all right. Think listen, about it. Listen, folks. Uh, Bob, I'm only going to request that I have you for about seven more minutes, if I can get, have you that long. And then we'll do the last hour with John. Bob, it's been such an honor. Uh, both of you stand by for a second. Uh, and we'll do that, and we'll do this, and we'll uh, we'll get it all handled, and be right back. You're listening to the CBC and BRN radio networks together in the nighttime from Las Vegas. I'm Art Bell with John Lear and Bob Lazar. KDWN Las Vegas. When you think of fine Mexican cuisine for the whole family, think of Vegas Cafe. To thank you for choosing Vegas Cafe for the past 14 years, Ernie and Celia Calderon have a new menu with a variety of seafood, specialty items, and desserts, plus all your favorites. There's more. Now you can enjoy a daily luncheon special for just $3.95 and separate dining rooms for smokers and non-smokers. You may also choose an imported or domestic beer or enjoy a wine margarita. Vegas Cafe at 4637 West Charleston in the Hyde Park Center serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner Tuesday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Try Vegas Cafe, where the Calderon family's pleasure is serving your family superb homemade Mexican cuisine that will please your palate and your purse. Vegas Cafe, 870-7411. Closed. Las Vegas. Unusually, Bob Lazar and John Lear with us together this morning. And uh, let's quickly go back to them because we don't have a whole lot of time here. Uh, gentlemen, you're back on the air again, and I'll give you a final moment. I just want to get one more call in here, and I'll give you a fi final moment to uh, get a plug in for where to get that tape uh, in a moment. Uh, good morning. Uh, you're on the air coast to coast AM with what I now call the group. Where are you calling from, please? Thank you, Art. I'm calling from Santa Fe, New Mexico. New Mexico, okay. This is indeed an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I had the opportunity to catch John and Bob in August when they were on the air. And uh, listening to that show uh, gave me shivers for a couple reasons. In 1989, I had an experience uh, in the mountains of New Mexico, which uh, after viewing some objects in the sky, I started to write down some things in the following days. One of the things that I drew was uh, something like a sphere with uh, almost uh, an ethereal ring around it or a field around it, and wrote down uh, the, uh, 
it had an aspect of folding and bending space. I, I wrote down seven other aspects, and then when I listened to your show in August, and Bob Lazar, I ordered your tape immediately after that, and it, gave, it, it put shivers and chills through me. All right, this is the first time Bob's ever been on the air with me that I'm aware of anyway. Um, uh, but indeed, uh, John was here and talked uh, about Bob's. Well, well, there was another gentleman with John. Uh, well, yes, uh, th yes, that's right. With, with the imaging uh, program. That's right, with NASA, I believe. Yeah, and uh, anyway, uh, one of the aspects that I want to do... Uh, then you put in. Okay, well, thank you for the program. Right, Enjoy thank, it. Thank you very much for the call, and good morning. And line one, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with our phone, John Lear. Good morning. <coughs> good morning. Uh, Mr. Lear, I have uh, two or three questions uh, for you. Um, you were talking about time travel a little while ago, and you mentioned it also on the last program that uh, they actually had conducted the successful experiments. Uh, what was the question? That okay, somebody, well, somebody uh, has conducted something? Yeah, on your last, last program you indicated that... Uh, that it may not have been anybody from this Earth. But, well, uh, well, that's fine. Uh, my question, though, is um, are you uh, familiar with the uh, Rainbow Project, the uh, Montau Project, and uh, the the uh, Phoenix Project? Uh, just vaguely. From uh, Is that the stuff that uh, Al Bielik talks about? Exactly, yeah, the Philadelphia Experiment. Now, what I wanted to... Uh, I mean, I've been reading these books uh, talking about that, and uh, the things are just so fantastic. Uh, in there that he traveled uh, 40 years uh, into the future from 1943 to 1983 and then back again to 43 and this is all a result of uh, attempts to uh, ma uh, make a battleship uh, or a destroyer I guess it was invisible the USS Ulysses and uh, as a result uh, not only did it become invisible but it went through time and space and uh, so I, I was wondering what your opinion on that is, or if you have one at all, on, on his credibility. All right, thank you. Uh, uh, I'm not inclined to believe it. I, I, I try to stick to kind of nuts and bolts and and uh, things that I can see and stuff that Bob's told me, and, and I just uh, don't... I know Al, and I haven't talked to him very much about about that, but uh, I just... Somehow, I just, I just don't believe it. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Good morning. Hi. I have two questions. All right. Um, the first was, you said, mentioned something about when you die, your soul goes to heaven, and the aliens... Or, no, I'm sorry. When you die, the aliens take your soul to another planet? No, I... You say not? No, see, how did you hear all that? Um, John... Tell them what you know about souls and containers and such. You know, it's, it's just theory that, that supposedly the aliens refer to us in containers. Now, if, if by saying containers they mean that we contain the soul, then obviously they're doing experiments with the soul. And when you die, supposedly they collect the soul and they put it in another container. And I don't know that to be true. Well, see, I mean, I did hear you say that. I just, is there anything I can read about that? I did, I, did. Is there anybody who's uh, written anything good about this, John? Uh, Whitley Strieber uh, discusses that. Uh, Whitley who? In, in his books. How do you spell his last name? Strieber. S-T-R. Strieber. Listen, sir, he'll spell it for you. S-T-R-E-I-B-E-R. -E -E Whitley Strieber. Strieber. And he's written two or three books. 
Okay, the other question was, is there any, I know this is all speculation and stuff, so, but is there any uh, speculation about there being like an alien culture that's non-violent with no state structure? I don't, I don't know anything about that. you never heard anybody talk about that? Right, nor have I. Is that it, sir? Yeah, thanks. All right, thank you. Uh, John, you just have to wonder where some of this stuff comes from. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let me see here. Uh, wild Card Line 3, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM, with Art Bell and John Lear. Hi. Good morning, Art and John. A very entertaining show. Thank you. Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Barry in Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay, Barry. Uh, Mr. Lear. Yeah. Uh, do you agree that there's much CIA disinformation about UFOs? Yeah, there is a lot, a lot of disinformation. Pardon me? There is a lot of disinformation. Well, you mentioned the, the Brentwaters event in England. Bentwaters, yeah. Uh, is there any possibility that that could have been staged? And the reason I ask that is because the troops that were called out to witness that were all told not to take any arms. Yes, uh, they were all told to leave their arms in their barracks. Yes, it is and very the possible it was staged. That I took them out to the spot that they were going to witness. They all were unarmed, and the only reason I can think of this is that that it was a staged event. Well, it was a staged event, but the question is, who staged it? Probably the CIA. Well, it's possible. Oh, isn't that something? All right, thank you. Uh, so some of all this could be, in a sense, more intentional disinformation, John. Uh, well, when I say they staged it, I mean, they staged it with real... Uh, well, I'm not going to get into that. I, I get, well, let, let me get into it a little bit. In other words, you can take something that is basic truth, like the, uh, the appearance of UFOs and this and all the rest of it, and you can, you can stretch it to an absurdity... Uh, and and when you do, you discredit all that goes before it, really. Yeah, essentially that's it. <laughs> um, all right, uh, let's keep moving here. Good morning, you're on the air. Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Where are you calling from, please? I'm Scottsdale again, Art. I have one more point. And no, no, sir, I'm sorry. Uh, we don't allow a callback in these shows, but I, I appreciate the attempt. Line two, your turn. Good morning. Good, good morning. I have a comment and a couple of questions. I think interstellar or extraterrestrial travel, I think time is against us. Is that right or not? Against us or anybody else? The time it takes. Oh, uh, well, yes. With conventional means of transportation, sublight, that would, of course, be correct. I'm talking about light year and even faster. Uh-huh. And another thing is, uh, what would a uh, tablespoon of matter from a black hole way and uh, uh, more more than that you can imagine and certainly more than it would uh, uh, be for you to be able to get the spoon then to your mouth right and uh, can any is there a, a true explanation on the term gravity can anybody really explain it that actually is a very good question uh, what the hell is gravity John well I not being a physicist, I don't know, but according to Bob, there's two uh, forms of gravity, gravity A and gravity B. And gravity uh, A is the uh, uh, the small atomic uh, force, and gravity B is the large force, like uh, the Earth uh, and the, uh, the 
planets uh, in orbit around the uh, of the sun. All right. Um, very good. Uh, let's see. First time caller line. You're on the air coast to coast AM with our phone, John Lear. Hello. Hello. Hi. Where are you calling us from? I'm calling from Fresno. Fresno. California. All right. John Lear is listening. What is your question? Well, uh, my husband years ago uh, met Mr. Lear's father in Reno. Yes. And my question is, could he review again about the helicopters and the men up coming in black uniforms, kind of uh, review that again. I heard that before, and I didn't get all of it. I understand. Uh, John, I've seen black helicopters. No markings. We've talked about that before. What are they? I don't know. There's plenty of them around. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of UFO incidents in which uh, black helicopters appear with uh, men dressed in black jumpsuits. Whether they're ours or theirs, uh, I don't know. There's also appearances of helicopters that are that are absolutely noiseless, like they were just images, like they weren't really helicopters at all. Well, um, exactly. Uh, the ones that I've heard are not quite silent, but uh, not far from it, and you don't hear them very long. The moment they, they're gone a little bit, they're, they are silent. You're I sure just that? heard of some of our helicopters that are very, very quiet. All right. Hold, hold on right there, John. We're going to do another quick break. You're listening to the CBC and BRN radio networks in the nighttime. KDWN, Las Vegas. S4, an area, area 99, area 51, areas that don't even have numbers, they're so secret. <laughs> Las Vegas, the desert, and the great American Southwest, welcome back to Coast to Coast AM, I'm Art Bell, and I'm going to give a quick version of the numbers, something I've not even had time to do this morning. If you're in the metropolitan area of Las Vegas, you can reach us at 383 8255-8255. If you're out of state, toll free. It's 1-800-338-8255. The wildcard direct dial lines, area code 702-385-7214. And if and only if you're a first-time caller, should you call area code 702-385-7213. John, you there? All right. We'll hopscotch, and this morning will be done before you know it. Okay. Uh, wild Card Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Hi. Hi, how you doing? We're, we're both fine. Where are you calling from? Uh, Button Willow, California. Wow. I don't know where that is, but go ahead. <laughs> it's outside of Bakersfield. Ah, okay. I have a question for, uh, for John. Uh, I just tuned in, and I was curious. Um, does he... I believe that there's any interbreeding going on between humans and aliens, and to what ends do they expect to achieve? Yes. Uh, supposedly there has been interbreeding. Uh, apparently... Uh, it's an ugly thought, John. Pardon? I say it's an ugly thought. 
Now, apparently they're trying to uh, interbreed for, apparently their race is dying out. At least this is the story some of the abductees come back with. And they're trying to uh, interbreed with us to make a, uh, a stronger form of themselves. Very interesting. Okay, thank you very That's much. Right. One of the species. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's a very disturbing thought, John, for most human beings. You know, unless unless there's cute little green chicks or something. No. Yeah. All right, good morning. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with our phone, John Lear. Is this, is this uh, Art Bell? It is, yes. I'm flabbergasted. It's so nice to talk to you both. Um, this is Billy, and I'm calling from Ontario. And, um, John, I talked with you recently at the uh, Congress in Las Vegas at the Hacienda. Yeah. In the magic shop. Right. Um, I happen to uh, have heard Al Balick, and I picked up the Montauk Project and uh, saw his presentation. And I am a, a follower of Tesla. And um, I happen to really buy everything that Al Balick has said. And if you will talk to Bob Brown, who put the Congress on, <coughs> and um, also, do you uh, have you seen Al Balick's presentation at all? No, I have not. Well, I think you might. Uh, he held the audience in the palm of his hand, and everyone was absolutely not breathing. They were so entranced with uh, everything that he had to say. Well, ma'am, what kind of things did he say? I mean, the rest of his... Well, his, his knowledge of electronics is absolutely impeccable. I, I would love to hear Bob Lazar and Al Bailey get together. And uh, if you like, uh, uh, Art, I will send you Al Bailey's number, and maybe sometime you could do a show with him. Why not? Uh, why not? Indeed, call my network and. Uh, and um, I will I will send further information, but uh, but Montauk Project and also the knowledge I have. I went with a, a friend who had uh, was on the panel, and uh, she had some fascinating things to say also. So I really think there's a whole lot further to go in this whole area, and I really appreciate your having uh, everybody on. And I'm sorry I didn't. My tape recorder wasn't working, and I couldn't get the show tonight. All right, well, if you listen carefully, I will shortly tell you how to get a copy of it. Uh, but we have okay. got to go. Uh, thank Wonderful. You. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. John, hold on. We'll be right back, and I will be back with the information about how to get a copy of the show in just a moment. Let me ask you, the business owner, would you like to advertise to over 750,000 people in the West per night? Would you like an audience that listens to the radio for information? That ranks as number one in listener loyalty. That is growing every night as Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell is proving to be the best late night talk show in America. Would you like to reach the consumer who, much like yourself, has many interests and requires goods and services from a variety of suppliers? Does your business search for the investor who follows world events as a prelude to investment? Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell gives the advertiser an opportunity to reach an audience that has the income and desire for the products that you offer. 
We get results with adults for our clients. For more information about building your business with the Chancellor Broadcasting Network, call 702-798-1798. Bring our listeners to your products or services. Call 702-798-1798 today. That's 702-798-1798. From Jackie Gons Plaza downtown, this is KDWN Las Vegas. Good morning and welcome back to the show, the one you waited for and have certainly uh, received this morning. If you want a copy of this show, you want a copy of this show, I, I really know already that I'm about to save myself a whole lot of trouble because everybody will be calling up saying my tape recorder wouldn't work. If you want a copy of this show or any other show that, uh, that we do here, uh, are you ready to write? Do you have your pencil? Oh, I hope so. Please write this number down. Please don't call all over the place asking for this number because this is the only place you can get it. If you want a copy of this show, you can get it by calling right now or anytime. Area code 702-873-3821. Let me give that again. For a copy of this show or any other that we've done, you can call right now, area code 702-873-3821. Having done that carefully, I know a lot of you still missed it and will want that number. Oh, well. Good morning uh, again, John. All right, how you doing? Fine. Uh, let us now continue. Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Good morning. Um, yes. I'm sorry. Good morning, Art. Good morning, Mr. Lear. Good morning. Uh, may I communicate with you, Mr. Lear, or write to you through Art Bell? Sure. Sure, absolutely. All right. I will ask you, Ralph, and take up time. Something uh, happened with a recurrence that uh, I was not into you your apology. Uh, totally out of context. I'm convincing enough that it left uh, more or less an irreparable memory with me. Uh, was there at any time a colony of aliens on Earth who later found the atmosphere to be hostile and mimical to them? Uh, but would they ever come back and say there were uh, remaining descendants of that colony? They could no longer stay. The atmosphere, as I said, being hostile. It's but also becoming... It's becoming some, catastrophe. It's also, ma'am, becoming hostile to some of us that are here now. <laughs> no, this uh, did not have the appearance. I, I can't go into the de uh, details. Time won't permit. Uh, not at all hostile. Uh, but that there are descendants, and there is a coming catastrophe, and uh, warning us and alerting us, etc. All right. Uh, thank you. Uh, John, yeah. what about it? Well, what's the question? Well, the question is uh, about the possibility of a coming catastrophe. It's really a, uh, it's a, it's a follow-up on the question I gave you earlier. A terrible prophet is the answer again. Okay. Um, what about the question on atmosphere? Uh, is is it possible that our atmosphere is utterly hostile, even poisonous, to uh, ones who don't normally breathe this mix of oxygen and such? Probably, probably hostile to some life forms. That's where 
that's why you see them wearing helmets and, and masks and, and different things and old carvings and uh, other kinds of documents like that. All right, so they're no different than we were. If we were to go to another planet, they'd right. be helmeted, and I believe some of the uh, uh, the graphics on rocks here have shown creatures wearing apparent helmets. Is that not true? Right. All right. Uh, wild Card Line 3, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM, with Art Bell and John Lear. Hi. <coughs> yeah, good morning, Art. Uh, I think a certain amount of this is uh, with a grain of salt, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, Mr. Lear does, too. Uh, what... Uh, uh, I no, he, no, he does not, sir. Oh, I wonder Mr. Lear has made he, clear the fact that he absolutely believes what he's saying. Uh, and well, I, I uh, neither of you read the book, The Body Electric, by Dr. Robert uh, Baker. All right, thank you. John? No, I have not. What, uh, what does it say? Uh, he's gone, I, I, so I don't know. Body Electric. Uh, I, but I do want to follow up on the first part of what he said, because he was ascribing to you an appara uh, apparently... Uh, uh, a feeling that isn't really there. I mean, you don't uh, take all this with a grain of salt at all, do you? Well, a couple of people have said that. I remember on a show we did once before, a guy called and said, uh, you're doing this tongue-in-cheek, aren't you, uh, Art? And, and, well, I'm certainly not. No, I, I believe it. I believe it 100%. So, uh... All right, so there. He was in Idaho. I know that. Call. All right, good morning. You're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Where are you calling from, please? Alaska. Alaska. Yes, sir. Yes, I've got uh, a couple questions. Uh, I'll make this brief. Uh, I, I'd like your opinion of the MJ-12 report, Majestic 12 report, uh, uh, given to Eisenhower. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And uh, also, uh, uh, Bill Cooper, uh, what you think of the information he released. And the third thing would be, what your personal opinion of who Jesus Christ is? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, the MJ-12 report, the information, I believe, is essentially true. Whether that document that Bill Moore passed around is, is legitimate or not, I don't know. But I think the information is true. As far as Bill Cooper, uh, he got more into the conspiracy uh, part of this than I did. Uh, so, you know, I don't have any comment there. I did talk to him the other day, and he seems to believe that uh, the Masonic Lodge is behind uh, all this stuff, and aliens don't exist, and there are no, no saucers. But well, that's a new direction. Yeah. Uh, and finally, John, uh, and most importantly, please now reveal to us who Jesus Christ really <laughs> is. That's a toughie. I'm going to let you, you do that. Oh, thanks. Uh, you know what I do at moments like that? What's that? I push the next button. Line three, you're on the air with Art Bell and John Lear. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you know, you're talking about gravity. Um, I believe that uh, what we currently believe is gravity is probably something totally different than what we believe it is. Uh, I'll give you an example. What I currently believe gravity to be is this. Uh, gravity is a pulling force due to... Uh, the size of mass. In other words, on Earth, we weigh a certain amount of weight. If we were on the moon, we weigh one-sixth the weight because the mass of the moon is one-sixth that of the Earth. And I will even add to this. Do you think that people falling off very tall buildings consider things like this on the way down? Probably. <laughs> Especially when the they nature hit, of gravity. <laughs> when they hit the third floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, John, anyway, um, what I wanted to say here is now with, the, uh, with like a black hole, the mass in a black hole is so condensed 
the gentleman was talking about a tablespoon of mass from a black hole would probably have the same mass density as the Earth. So think of it this way. If two magnetic poles of the same pole, like two North Poles, repel each other, say if you could get the density uh, out of a black hole that had the same mass of the Earth, those two masses would probably repel each other. Uh, you know, like magnets uh, do. Well, that sounds like a question for Bob or statement. Yeah, too bad. Now, I want to take this one step further. You were talking about Tesla, and what Tesla was dealing with, according to him, were tachyon particles. Now, in tachyon theory, they say that gravity is not a pulling force. It's an accelerating force, and that the Earth acts as a shield for the tachyon particles. So with that theory in mind, and I guess with that theory, it's a workable theory in the tachyon particle theory, uh, the idea of gravity changes. All right, we've got to hold it there, sir. Okay. Thank you. Um, the whole notion of gravity and what it is uh, is very interesting, isn't it, John? And it's hard to know whether it's a pulling force or a... Now Bob describes it as a wave, but uh, I'll have to wait till he's on next time if you really want to know the bottom line. All right. Very good. Uh, wild card line three, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Hello. You cut me off before I could ask my question. Okay, go ahead then, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, don't you really feel that the great threat to civilization is the great imbalance of uh, strategic nuclear forces right now rather than anything alien? All right, thank you. Uh, John, your answer? Well, the, uh, who has, who's, who's the enemy? Well... Uh, I guess uh, w whatever was the Soviet Union, uh, Russia and the other individual republics still do have actual physical possession nigh on to 30,000 nuclear weapons. So, you know, the bottom line is I don't believe that, that there is a threat now, and, and I, quite honestly, I don't believe there ever was a threat. And the reason was a friend of mine had uh, spent the uh, on a summer cruise in Russia with, um, with Olaf Kalugin, who was the... Uh, former uh, chief of intelligence for the KGB and, and uh, was fired in 1985. And this guy uh, told him, said, ask me anything. He said, you know, they can't do anything more to me and they haven't done anything. You know, answer, ask me your questions. Mm -hmm. So uh, my friend asked, well, how about the Rosenbergs? Were they guilty? And he said, yeah, they were died in the world communists. He said, how about Oswald? He said, Oswald was a nut. We didn't have anything to do with him. And then he asked about the, uh, the Cold War. And uh, this ex-head of the KGB said it was uh, uh, the uh, Russians uh, being equal to us in technology was was manufactured by the by the uh, U.S. intelligence. It, it never was a fact. They were never that close to us. <laughs> the Cold War was uh, more or less a myth fabricated by somebody. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the next uh, reason to keep to keep a building and keep developing will be, huh, John? Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Line one, you're on the air. Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell and John Lee. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, um, I know that he, uh, Mr. Lear has talked about a number of different kinds of species of uh, aliens or extraterrestrials. In 1984, I think a book came out called Dark Eyes. That on the cover of the book was a spacecraft that looked like an upside-down aircraft carrier. In other words, the bomb pipe was the flat top that to land in 1978 I had seen a similar aircraft and most people talk about sausage and things like that and that's why this book just sort of pops up, popped up to me because I had seen this thing 
flying, I was about oh, eight stories off the ground in the Midwest somewhere in a city. And uh, it was just above a cloud cover. It seemed like, you know, you couldn't really see it, but it shook the whole neighborhood. And some people um, stated that they had seen it too, like cloud stops and other things like that. I was wondering, do you have any idea of what that was or... Oh, there's all kinds of different uh, craft, and some of them are just immense beyond belief. Uh, I think a, a British Airways crew saw one uh, in the early 50s uh, over Kuwait that was six miles in diameter. Mm -hmm. There's one that was seen in, uh, in China that was 10 kilometers in diameter. There was one that was seen by a, British, or a um, Japan Airlines uh, Cargo 707, in 1987 over Alaska, and this thing was three times as big as an aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my only question is, uh, what if there was only a two-man crew on that one? <laughs> you know, uh, thank you, caller. Uh, John, uh, I'm going to add to that a little bit. I, One of the things that you once said to me did cause me to kind of raise my eyebrows really high. And it was something about, and I cannot recall, it may have been a 10-kilometer spacecraft of some kind that you referred to, and that sent my eyebrows up, and in ham radio, we have a method of communication called packet, which is nothing more than a uh, kind of a fancy way to send uh, uh, information, and it appears on a screen, it can be stored in a computer and recalled and sent over networks, and uh, doggone if there wasn't a pretty serious packet report the other day of a sighting of something that was supposedly miles long, and, and the moment I heard that, I remembered your comment on that gigantic spaceship. Oh, there are some very, very large ones that have been seen. Huh. At line two, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Mr. Lear, have you read Communion? Yes. Uh -huh. What do you think of it? It, uh, it was scary. When I read it, uh, was when I first started this research, and I heard about it. I was on my way to the airport. It was a flight from uh, Las Vegas to Cleveland, and uh, I kind of it was it was a night flight. I kind of uh, read it on the way, and uh, when I got to Cleveland, it was an overnighter there. I couldn't turn the light on. I mean, it was it was so real to me. Now a lot of other people have read Communion, and then they think it's you know so so, but for me, it struck a true note. It it felt really really real to me. Okay. I had, uh, there's another book out called Being by Michael Redson. Have you had an opportunity to read that one? No, I haven't. He's a British author, isn't he? I believe so. It has more to do with the spiritual side of uh, these beings. And it has a lot... Uh, well, maybe they're angels, maybe they're not, and so forth. Another right. question, what is the purpose of this 115? All right, element 115, John. Element 115 is the fuel that they use uh, uh, in an annihilation reaction, which creates the uh, the positive voltage, and the and uh, somehow they get the gravity B wave, which uh, is channeled and amplified to provide the travel that they that they use. All right. Uh, good morning on the first time caller line. You're on the air, coast to coast AM, with Art Bell and John Lear. Good morning. Good morning. I have a couple of questions for John. Uh, sure. Where are you calling us from? Tucson. I'm sorry. Tucson. That's quite all right. Go ahead. 
Uh, I'd like to have his opinion on the reports of instant healing that appear occasionally in the records of association with UFOs. And also I'd like to know what he feels about uh, these abduction cases where usually they report being uh, carried through solid walls or windows. Really? I've read both of those. Both of them are very interesting. Apparently the instant healing uh, has occurred. I don't know how it has occurred. The one about being carried through the walls really puzzles me. Uh, uh, there's also uh, being carried through a car. Uh, they feel that their body is going through the car, or at least their soul, because they can look back in the car and see their their body, but they feel like they are wherever they're being transported. Yes. It's always puzzled me, but it's like Bob Lazar was talking about uh, mental telepathy. Until we have more information, we're not going to know how they did it. It seems to be a frequency beyond anything we know about. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, Colin. Good morning. Uh, that opens a line in Las Vegas, 383-8255-8255. Or I should say there is one open. Um, John, do you think we might get Mr. Uh, Strieber in uh, as a guest one of these days with you? Uh, I don't think so. We uh, we had kind of a falling out here about four or five years ago, and uh, it was over something, you know, just like most fallings out, it was over a minor thing, but you know, I haven't talked to him in quite some time. Uh, and I don't know whether he's done any interviews uh, um, after the uh, the disaster that the movie comedian was. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's been out much. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with our bound John Lear. Hi. Hi. Um, I had a question about, I had read a book, oh God, it was about five years ago, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was about um, the moon. And a lot of people in the Soviet Union believe the moon is uh, actually uh, alien aircraft of some type that could hollow. Yes, and uh, that's what Bob is, was referring to, is the, some of these theories are so far out. You know, you just wonder who cooked them up and where they came from. But yes, I have heard that. I've heard that the spaceship in there is aliens uh, inside. Yeah. And, and all that and was brought here and, and all that stuff. Yeah, they said there's a, a hole that goes into the, and they can't even, you know, they can't, they can see the hole, but they can't see all the way inside it. Well, let me join this little parade of strangeness. I've, I've also heard that there are large earth-moving machines on the moon uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, John, uh, any, anything about that? Oh, no. The, guy, the guest we had on the other day, uh, Rob Mailey, it was his father that saw the picture of the Earth-moving machine. It was 300 uh, um, or 100 yards in, uh, in length, and it was shown to him by an astrophotographer uh, very confidentially. But in fact, yes, that, uh, that picture was taken by... Am I still uh, online? Yeah, you're online. Okay. Um, I had another question. I heard another thing that the Soviets might have is... Um, uh, things that can produce earthquakes. Really? Yeah. Heard well, they owe us a lot of money for California. <laughs> um, Hadn't heard about that, John? Oh, we have not heard about that. All right. Well, thank you, uh, caller. Good morning. Uh, line three, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM, with our bound John Lear. Hi. Yes, good morning. Uh, very interesting show. Uh, Bob Lazar was... Uh, I like to hear the science uh, behind uh, all these things. The... Uh, 
And I kind of agree with uh, Lazar's uh, thing about 99.9 something percent uh, of this being just off the wall. Uh, but uh, one thing that, that just hit me a little while ago, um, talking about the, some Soviet KGB guy who says the Soviets were never close to us in technology. Uh, that was Olaf Kalugin. Well, uh, it, I beg to differ with that because at one point they were way ahead of us. I mean, uh, you know, they had Sputnik up and uh, their throw weights as far as what they can put on a... Uh, and a missile were... Yes, know. sir, but that's brute force category. Technologically, we yeah. are and always have been and will be probably for a long time way ahead of them. Is that not... Well, well that when they were putting up Sputnik, uh, we were probably already on the moon. <laughs> well... Deal, uh, deal with that, caller. Uh, that, uh, that goes way beyond... Uh, where we started taking over was where we, uh, we had the uh, computers and... Uh, because of our societal freedom, the spread of computers, and uh, the usage by the people. All right, look, time is very short, so say something very profound. Uh, okay, uh, I, th I think that uh, as far as the aliens go, until uh, they come and uh, have direct communication with us, it's all conjecture, and uh, what's the point? I mean, I think that we could use our... Uh, mass uh, knowledge and working together f uh, for more important things than... All right, all right, thank you. Well, all right, that's actually almost a good question, John. Uh, the caller was talking about technology that the public knows about, right. not what the government has. Our technology base runs approximately 30 years ahead of what the, of the public knows. So there you go, sir. John, we'll be right back with yet a bit more. Stay right there. This is the CBC and DRN Radio Network. everybody once again from Las, Las Vegas the uh, high desert hasn't this been special we've had John Lear with us he's here for a couple more moments Bob Lazar was here for a couple of hours and it has been an enchanting night to say the least I'm Art Bell it's been a pleasure to be with you this week in the fleeting moments of the show I want to do as I always do say thank you for a wonderful week of talk radio uh, it really has been a pleasure, folks. And uh, now back to John Lear. John, are you there? Oh. All right. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, uh, and so to be sure that I get it in, John, that, uh, that tape that explains everything, why not take one more crack at giving out the address? It's Tri-Dot Corporation. That's T-R-I-D-O-T Corporation, 1324. That's 1324 Southeastern. And that's in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89104, and it's $29.95 plus $3 shipping and handling. All right. Uh, let's take a couple of uh, lingering questions. People have been waiting so long. You're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with our phone, John Lear. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, good morning, Art. This is Bonnie from Clear Lake. Clear Lake, yes. Uh, I got my Rothfell watch. It's beautiful. Uh, I have a question for... Uh John, though, does everybody have a soul? Uh, the Bible says there's only so many, and uh, and if we're 
all keep being reborn again, how come there's billions of people and only so many souls? All right, well, that's a good question, actually. Uh, oh, I think uh, we talked about that once before, and I said that I knew a, people, a few people that I didn't suspect had souls. <laughs> Which is my, just like my going to line three. Uh, line one is where I'm going right now. You're on the air with John Lear and Art Bell. Good morning. Hello, Hello is this? Am yes. I on the line yes. one? Yes, sir. Yes, oh, sir. yes. Uh, uh, John, uh, do you know anything about the effects of, of magnetism on these craft or uh, whether they're influenced or if they utilize ma our magnetic fields for anything? No, that would be a question for Bob. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks. Thank you. Have a good morning. Out of state, you're on the air. Coast to Coast AM with John Leonard Bell. Hello. Hello, Art. Hello. Where are you calling from, sir? Kodiak. Kodiak, Alaska. All right, John Lear is here. Do you have a quick question? Uh, yes, sir. Has he ever heard of the raw material? Uh, what was that again? Uh, the raw material, R-A. Oh, yes, yeah. I'm sure he has. Yes, he has, sir. Uh, if he could comment, and I'll listen off here. All right. Yeah, I don't have... All right, thank you. Uh, from uh, Well, it's just a book, you know, just like all the other stuff. It has spiritual stuff, and, uh, you know, it's like like a lot of other books, like uh, Urantia and, and stuff like that. Oh, that is an interesting topic, uh, and I don't think, I don't think I say that we've ever really touched on that. All right. Uh, quick, quickly, because we're about out of time. Line two uh, for John Lear. Yeah, John. Yeah. Uh, is it true you, the UFO crash at Roswell? Absolutely, positively true. True. Yeah. And Hangar 18, are the four bodies at Hangar 18, and has anybody been in that hangar? Uh, I think the Hangar 18 may just be, uh, uh, it may have been Hangar 18, but certainly there were four bodies. Uh, which hangar they went into, uh, I don't know. The most credible of all the incidents, though, uh, John uh, uh, Roswell? Pardon? The most credible of all UFO incidents, Roswell? Uh, certainly that uh, we have most of the evidence, of the evidence that Stan Friedman and uh, Don Berliner collected on it. They interviewed over 105 witnesses, many of them still living, that either touched or had something to do with that recovery. Yeah. All right, caller, got to go. Okay. Thank you. John, we're out of time, so look. Okay, my I get one I... last comment? Yeah, one last comment. Okay, even if you planted rye for the winter, be sure and fertilize every six weeks about five pounds per thousand, and be sure and water early so that the lawn has a chance to dry in case there's a freeze at night. And please don't forget my suggestion about the disc lighted on your lawn. <laughs> John, it's as always, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for attracting like uh, 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 magnetism or gravity or something. You brought Bob Lazar to us, and that was something else. Okay, thanks, sir. It was a pleasure. We'll do it again, John? Okay, great. All right, bye-bye. That's it, folks. I'm sorry. We out of time. We'll see you on Monday night, Tuesday morning with more of whatever it is that we do here, which constantly is changing. It's been a pleasure to be with all of you this week. I'm Art Bell, and I think my weekend has about arrived. Talk Radio continues on the flagship station, KDWN, coming next. Good morning, all.
Guns Plaza downtown. This